0: Welcome to Ark Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997.
1: From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening or good morning as the case may be across this great land of ours. Literally saturating the ionosphere worldwide and certainly commercially from the Tahitian and Hawaiian Islands in the West, east all all the way to the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands basking in the Caribbean sun, south into South America, north all the way to the pole, and yes, worldwide on the internet, this is Post to Coast AM.
2: Good morning.
1: As you know, the uh, big confab is going on in Roswell. I, I would guess, uh, we'll get a report here in a minute, but I would guess tens of thousands of people are descending on Roswell, probably doubling, tripling, or quadrupling its normal population. And there is a bit of intrigue underway. I had a call. Uh, well, actually, first I received a uh, news release. And, uh, and I had a call from Chris Wyatt, uh, formerly of CBS, and now uh, in a, an apparent partnership with Paul Davids, the executive producer of the show, uh, Showtime film Roswell. Uh, and he said, well, I note you read our press release I said, yes. Uh, He was wondering how much press coverage it was getting and uh, concerned that it wasn't getting as much as he would like. And I said, well, um, why don't you come on the program and without, you know, spilling all the beans, whatever your beans are, uh, at least uh, give it a tease and uh, give us a little idea of what you're going to be announcing in the morning. And he said, okay, fine and I want to put this all in perspective for you, let me now read you uh, that announcement once again, because we are hours from uh, the announcement. It is entitled, Scientific Proof to be Presented that an Extraterrestrial Craft was Recovered Near Roswell, New Mexico. CNI News received the following press release from Houston-based researcher Daryl Sims on June 30th. CNI News will report further details of the story following the scheduled press conference July 4th. Dateline Roswell, New Mexico, June 30th, 97. A press conference scheduled for 9 a.m., July 4th, 1997, at the Pearson Auditorium. Uh, it says here Rearson, but I believe it's Pearson Auditorium on the New Mexico Military Institute campus in Roswell, New Mexico, Mexico, is going to present the results of scientific tests performed on crash debris found near Roswell, New Mexico 50 years ago that once and for all prove that the downed vehicle was not of Earth origin. A research scientist from a major university involved in the testing will be on hand to discuss the methodology and results of the isotopic ratio tests. And this is very important, folks. Um, Isotopic ratio tests, Linda will explain them shortly, Um, will tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt, or for the most part beyond any shadow of a doubt, whether something is of Earth origin or not. At any rate, uh, of the isotopic ratio tests of the Roswell debris, Supporting conclusions in a battery of tests conducted by universities and national laboratories will be provided that conclude the Roswell debris is manufactured material of extraterrestrial origin. Paul Davids, executive producer of the Showtime film Roswell, is sponsoring the presentation of the evidence during his program at the 50th anniversary along with images of the actual Roswell crash debris, the chain of evidence will also be presented validating the Roswell incident as the recovery of a crashed extraterrestrial vehicle. So the day went by, and I didn't hear from Chris Wyatt. So I got hold of uh, Paul David's office and put a call in got his motel room in Roswell and put in a call to Paul Davids. I was asleep when he returned the call. My wife answered. He said, well, we're not going to say anything. In other words, they're ducking out on us, and they've decided they're not going to say anything until tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. So, we really have no way of knowing exactly what is going to be announced at 9 a.m., other than what I just read you. Now, what I have coming up in a moment, uh, well, let me tell you what's ahead in the evening, is first, Linda Moulton Howe, who is presently at Roswell, and has been talking with some of the individuals involved. And then, uh, coming up, following Linda, we've got another famous person, uh, present now at Roswell, Bud Hopkins, author of uh, Intruders, Missing Time, expert on uh, abductions. Latest book is Witness. We'll talk a bit about the uh, Betty and uh, Barney Hill story and all the rest of that and no doubt the goings-on at Roswell so there you are that's the setup that's where we are we were to hear something about this press release but for some reason at the last minute they chose uh, not to come forward and I'm just giving it to you uh, straight out
0: The audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price. The package includes podcasting, which automatically downloads shows for you, and the iPhone app. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. That's over a 1,000 shows for you to collect and enjoy. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up. Now we take you back to the night of July 3rd, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: All right, uh, one more thing that I want the audience to know. And that is, during, uh, well, let's see, I received what we affectionately call Arts Parts made up of bismuth and magnesium about 15 months ago or more and uh, during the course of that 15 months when Chris Wyatt was with CBS he contacted us, plural, as in myself and Linda Moulton Howe and uh, was for a time working with us since leaving CBS he apparently has connected with uh, Paul David in uh, some regard and um, So we're not exactly sure what uh, the nature of the announcement uh, tomorrow is going to be, but uh, Chris Wyatt was aware, uh, quite aware, of the uh, BizMag investigation ongoing. And by the way, it still is, and that's uh, what you're about to get updated on. So, now, to Roswell, New Mexico, and Linda Moulton Howe. Linda, hello.
3: Hi, Art. Yeah, the timing in all this is extraordinary, and perhaps, a little bit strange. Uh, the last three hours, I have been at a cocktail party that was held by the mayor of Roswell. And during that cocktail party, both Chris Wyatt and Paul Davids uh, and I talked mm-hmm. about what it is that they're planning to do tomorrow morning. Right. And I said, let's go on coast to coast tonight and let's talk about this because, and this may be part of the irony of the timing. I have been trying to do the most solid research that I could on the business magnesium outside of of any spotlight uh, and not doing anything prematurely and making sure that we had all our ducks in a row and that we had hard, hard edged information that I could report periodically. Linda,
1: before we launch into that, um, there's a large audience out there, frankly because I haven't been talking about it a lot, that doesn't even know what we're talking about. Okay. 15 months ago or so. April
3: 1996, Uh you received the first letter and then somewhere uh, we had five letters, one to me and four to both of us, sort of, all having to do with radio reports that I was doing after we received uh, two different shipments, one that appeared to be all almost 100% aluminum pieces and then a second shipment of a very strange series. Of a half a dozen or so, a material that was about two inches long, an inch to an inch and a half wide, quarter of an inch deep, silver on one side, black on the other. And when we did a series of tests, actually six institutions now have analyzed the same, uh, elemental composition. We've done a Carnegie Institute analysis of the isotope comp- uh, composition in Washington. Everybody has found the same thing. They were dealing with thin layers of bismuth and almost pure magnesium, a little zinc in that layer alternating, and that the bismuth and the magnesium do not have any other elemental composition in between them. There's nothing that's bonding. No oxygen has been discovered. And that these alternating layers are so thin that the bismuth layer alone is about half the size of a human blood cell. A human blood cell is seven microns. The bismuth layer is uh, ranging from one to four microns, and this is a very interesting point. Right from the very beginning, the first professor that I sent this material to to do a scanning electron microscope photograph of and to do what's called electronic dispersive spectroscopy to look at elemental composition called me and said, there is a strange wavy pattern Going through the bismuth and the magnesium zinc. And he, in fact, at this university, he called in a geologist to look at this. And they were always puzzled. And right from the beginning, the question was, how was this material made? And we had a one man who tried to make it four different attempts with what was called vacuum vapor deposition and never was able to reproduce it. Just in the last week, is how thin the timing is on this.
1: Well, you're still missing a little bit. I mean, in that interim, my God, Linda, you went to every oh, yes. rare <laughs> metals manufacturer we yes. could lay our hands on. You went to a lot of the national labs. Yes. Uh, I mean, we did exhaustive.
3: Uh, yes. Absolutely. And uh, and I'm assuming that this audience, but that's right, it was the Dreamland audience uh, who heard uh, the montages that I did at Sandia Labs and Los Alamos and the metals manufacturers and the universities and all the people that we've gone to in the last uh, 15 months who unanimously, 100 percent, have said that they had no precedence for engineering anything with bismuth and magnesium in micron layers. And it led up to, in the last two months, I did something quietly with the help of an attorney. We filed Freedom of Information Act requests with 13 agencies, including the Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, the, um, all the Army, Air Force, Navy, Wright-Patterson, Phillips, a whole series of labs, and the National Science Foundation, and NASA, and across the board, to the specs of the one to four microns, bismuth, 100 to 200 microns, magnesium mostly, and a little zinc. Uh, and giving the parameters, we have come to that no one anywhere has any reference to these elements being used together in thin layers.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: the last letter on that came from Wright Patterson, which interestingly enough, 50 years ago, probably was front and center receiver of strange technology that was retrieved from crashed objects here in New Mexico and other areas, and today is the last letter in a series of 13 that we received on this strange material that we've got saying that they had no reference and that they were referring me back to agencies that we had already filed FOIA requests to who had no information. So all of that was uh, something that I was going to uh, talk about uh, with you tonight or tomorrow night, uh, independent of Paul David and Chris Wyatt, and to let the audiences know in Coast to Coast and Dreamland that on Saturday here in Roswell at 2 o'clock in the Pearson Auditorium, my entire presentation is going to be the best slides, the best videotape, and the best spectra that we have on this mysterious bismuth magnesium layered material that after 15 months no one knows precisely how it was made or what its function could be, but there's been a lot of speculation. So it was very surprising to me tonight to hear from two people, one of which is Chris Wyatt, who had been actively involved in the evolution of the research that we were doing on the business magnesium.
1: And it should be noted here that we have never until this moment publicly um, made reference to the fact that we we're
3: talking to Chris. That's right. That's right. And that they would do a press conference tomorrow, uh, asserting that they had absolute proof that they have extraterrestrial material. Now, I personally will be standing with my hands clapping if the evidence that they have are abnormal isotope ratios or anything that would stand up in front of the National Science Foundation and the National Academy of Sciences that this is truly not of this earth. One of the problems that we all have is coming up with the hardest data that can be be presented to scientists worldwide that either the isotope ratios are completely anomalous or that there is something that is truly not terrestrial in terms of explanation.
1: Now would you explain to the audience how it is possible to do uh, isotope testing that will conclusively tell a person that what they're holding or what they have is not from Earth.
5: Yeah.
3: Let's go to what happened at Carnegie. I took this material down there, first of all, to look at the magnesium layer because in the 50s there was quite a large eyewitness sighting of something coming through the sky over what was called Uba Tuba outside of Sao Paulo, Brazil, of something, some sort of an object that a many, many witnesses claimed exploded and that pieces came down on the beach. and There were a series of stories done through a newspaper contacting uh, some scientists uh, and a series of tests were done. and The bottom line was that whatever this material was that was collected from a beach in Brazil appeared in approximately 1957 to be 100% magnesium-26, and when I say that, I'm, I'm talking about an isotope that relates to the number of neutrons and protons at the center of the molecule of the magnesium with a certain number of electrons on the outside. Okay, of this
1: begins magnetism. to get awfully complicated. Uh, that's if, right, but if, that's if,
3: what isotope ratios are about. Oh,
1: okay, but Linda, if let's take magnesium pure as an example. What should the isotope ratio be?
3: In Earth, terrestrial magnetism has approximately 80% of what's called magnesium isotope 24, and approximately 10% of Magnesium-25 and about 10% of Magnesium-26. That's the normal uh, so-called mag- uh, Magnesium metal on the earth and it can range in different percentages of that, give or take. Now, when I went to Carnegie and we did the isotope study on our business Magnesium material. It turned out that in the Magnesium that we were dealing with in the material that we have, it's the actual physical material there was about 11% more magnesium 26 than there would be in what we would call terrestrial magnesium ore, but not outside of terrestrial parameters. What was interesting in our test was six times, the Carnegie, uh, what's called ion microprobe uh, expert and the one who was doing the test, he was puzzled by the fact that our magnesium business sample emitted 60 Zero, 60 times more ions than his control magnesium metal.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It has never been totally explained why the material that we have and that you've got, you've got now, too, yes. is why does it emit 60 times the number of ions? And I have talked with a, a whole series of scientists just in the last three or four months uh, talking about this whole issue of certain crystal. Faces and the construction and crystal face construction and why this might occur and this gets into some of the newest work that I'm trying to do quietly until we have hard hard data. But the suggestion is that the material we have may have been done with something that is called laser welding. It is part of Research that's being done in IBM and other areas and laser welding has been uh, one of these, we'll call it one of the more advanced areas uh, in high technology on our planet. And One of the interesting aspects of laser welding, which means putting metallic layer, layers together with lasers, is that you will end up with that wavy, corrugated pattern that has always puzzled people about the material that we have. Now, another aspect is the question that many people, the scientists that I've sent this material to or we have shown the spectra to, they've all said there has to be a bonding agent. And we've never found oxygen, we've never found anything between these layers. What is holding the bismuth and the magnesium zinc together? Well, it turns out that in some of these areas now of nanotechnology and thin layers, If you get down to one to four microns of layering certain metals together...
4: All right, Linda... We'll get
3: into electron bonding between the atoms themselves.
1: All right, hold that thought. We'll come back uh, and pick up on that point. Linda Moldow in Roswell, New Mexico, is my guest. I'm Art Bell.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July third, 1997. Art Bell, somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997.
1: Linda Walton Howe is here, and uh, this is going to be a very interesting evening already is. We'll get back to it in a
0: moment. Now we take you back to the night of July 3rd, 1997 on Art Bell, somewhere in time.
1: now to Roswell, New Mexico, center of everything that's going on right now, and Linda Moulton-Howe. By the way, uh, Linda, uh, what's it like in Roswell? Uh, Has uh, Roswell been swelling as predicted?
3: Well, i tell you, as I landed at the airport this afternoon, the plane that we were in, a small commuter out of Albuquerque, hit a patch of cumulonimbus that sent that plane up so high and down so low about twelve times that I thought, oh my God, this is it. I'm going to die in this place fifty years after. Well, That same cumulonimbus apparently uh, hit with strong winds uh, this afternoon and one of the people here has lived here a long time said, you know, we haven't had any rain and then we hit this weekend and now we're having... A thunderstorm. Well, when we went to the mayor's cocktail party, that huge cloud was filled with lightning going on and off, and it's probably still out there. Reminded me exactly of the scenes in Spielberg's Encounter of the Fourth Kind that uh, first premiered, I think, in 1978 or 79, and uh, caused such a sensation on this earth. And I thought, how appropriate that they haven't had rain here for weeks and here is the night that everybody uh is gathering and we've got a cloud that will not quit with lightning inside hanging right over the city of Roswell and i'm not saying there's a craft in there i'm just <laughs> saying that the lightning and the thunder tonight uh even to the locals was a dramatic opening to uh the next two or 3 days and I would not say that it looks like Woodstock, Uh, you don't have people every square inch of every square mile, but uh, the town from one end uh, from the airport driving in to the other is absolutely chock full of jokes and or visual displays or something having to do with the whole issue. Did something of a non-human intelligence come down here? In this area, in 47 or the 40s into the 50s, and maybe multiple times in multiple places, and the entire city, the everywhere, uh, everything is around that theme.
1: Is there a lot of talk there about time compression, Linda?
3: Well, <laughs> the issue, <laughs> the issue of past, present, and future, and time. Uh, issue and machines is something that maybe we could take up on another program. No, no,
1: no, no. Wait. Uh, this is uh, perhaps you don't understand. Uh, the Air Force held a news conference. Oh,
3: yeah.
1: And um, when they asked Colonel Haynes how he could account uh, for the time between 1947, when so much occurred, and 1953.
3: And those silly dummies.
1: And those silly dummies and all the rest of it. Uh, his answer was time compression.
3: Time
4: compression. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
3: <laughs> now I understand. and um, that it, It's a sorry state, isn't it, yes. where the military has to reach for those kinds of phrases to try to explain what is their third effort to explain something in which they are actually admitting there were bodies. That's another irony of all this.
1: Well, time compression probably came straight from military intelligence.
3: Well, and coming back to this whole issue of proof, hard proof of unusual metallic material. One of the things that Chris Wyatt and uh, Paul Davids told me tonight is that they do have one sample piece in which a Stanford University professor said that there were more than 20 elements and that there were some of those elements in which the isotope ratios were not terrestrial. Uh Now, I'm quoting what I was told tonight. Did they
6: say what
1: kind of metal piece it was?
3: No. No. Not bismuth and not magnesium. We're talking about 26 different elements. Okay. Now, to me, the challenge is, is the Stanford professor willing to show scanning electron microscope pictures with what we call that EDS, that electronic dispersive spectroscopy or wave dispersive spectroscopy or liquid. Uh, anything that will show exactly in a scientific way what those elements are, what those isotopes are. If were were happens, you surprised,
1: Linda, were you surprised that when you approached them tonight and said, let's go on the air, they had suddenly decided uh, not to do so?
3: Yeah, it, What I, exactly. What I was going to say is that if they have material that is solid science that can stand up anywhere on this planet, At the press conference tomorrow. Then
1: it's big news.
3: We all should be standing there cheering. What I'm concerned about is that it's one thing to have enthusiasm, it's another thing to have enough evidence that will prove to the mainstream media and to scientists that we have something without calling wolf too many times.
4: Mm -hmm. That's
3: why I prefer to work as best I can. Uh, more quietly until we have hard pieces and then report those hard pieces. Now, if the, sci- if the Stanford scientist is here tomorrow and has all of the evidence and they've got a 26 element piece.
6: You think that the is the
1: major university they refer to here?
3: That's what he said, Stanford.
1: Oh, I see. Stanford, so, all right.
3: So now tomorrow it's a question of how far will the documentation go? Now, separate out all of that, 26 uh, elemental pieces and possibly some anomalous isotope composition. I know nothing about this piece. But you come back to the business magnesium and the layered material that I have been researching now for 15 months, one solid piece of scientific uh, research after another.
6: Well, I think we ought to tell the
1: audience something else. In our conversations months and months ago with Chris Wyatt. Uh, it was revealed to us that we were not the only ones with bismuth magnesium samples.
3: That's correct. He said that he had one
5: other source.
1: One other source at a separate crash site, that's remember? Right. That's right. And that's when I came on the air and told the audience we had some very, very incredibly exciting news that we couldn't talk about yet. And that's what it was. That's that, right. That, that, that there was a, a biz mag, um at a separate location, and they were talking about isotope ratios that were not of Earth at that time. As and, I when, recall. and
3: tonight at the party, when I asked Chris, "Are you talking about exactly the parameters of what we've got—one to four microns pure bismuth, uh, layered with 97.6 percent magnesium, 2.4 percent zinc, and going for at least 25 layers, as we have already photographed and measured?" He said. Basically, I can't confirm that it is exactly that, so I would say that whatever it is that they are analyzing, that all of the Dreamland and Coast to Coast audience listening should at least say that there may be something that will have some hard physical data. It may or may not have anything to do with the bismuth magnesium layered material that we received with letters from a man who claimed that his grandfather left them in a box with a journal in 1974 and was part of a security team in 1947 at a wedge-shaped, delta-shaped vehicle, not round, but Mm triangular-shaped, between the northwest corner of White Sands and Socorro. This has nothing to do with the Foster Ranch between Corona and Roswell. Right. What we're dealing with is between White Sands and Socorro.
4: Okay, Everything now. so
3: far art up to this point, and all of the, I don't think that the people that I'm working with now on this material would be doing and willing to do what they're willing to do if we didn't have layered material that falls into a category of being at the stretching edge of technology that may relate to electrogravitic material,
1: An, or put another way, uh, may have been part of, or could be part of, a lifting body
3: in a circumstance that may have to do with pulsed magnetic fields or pulsed magnetic and or electrostatic fields with certain RF signals. This is what we are now, we're going beyond the research we've done, we're moving into other areas, and we're moving into those areas because other scientists have told us this is the work, the cutting edge of what they're interested in, and so they want to try it on this material. And I would say that the possibility that in a pulse uh, magnetic field that this material might turn into that lifting body that that one man hinted at could be a potential out there if the scientists could find the right pulse frequency. And that appears to be a part of the key when you're dealing with layered materials and the kind of fields that you put them in. And what we're saying here, Art, is this is all the cutting edge of technology, at least as far as the civilian world is concerned.
1: All right, so then um, the answer is you have been approached by a very large corporation that we need not name.
3: Right, we can't. That,
1: that is going to do the testing you just described on
3: right. the
1: Bismag material that we have. That's right. All right, uh, and then going Eventually, back.
3: naturally, whatever we can learn that's solid, then I will keep reporting when we've got solid answers.
1: So, um, again, going back, it is curious that uh, Chris Wyatt now hooked up with uh, Paul Davids, uh, the both of them um, were unwilling to come on the air this evening and discuss anything at all, even in a tease. Um, and you are going to be then presenting tomorrow. On Saturday. On, uh, I'm Saturday.
3: sorry, and on Saturday. Yeah, day after tomorrow, Saturday at 2 o'clock in the Milton Pearson Auditorium. I'm going to do a complete two-hour presentation on all the work uh, that we've been able to do, uh, slides, videotape, spectra on this material, uh, and I'm hoping also that out of this audience, uh, if there's anybody who will have any other information, I, every step of the way, it seems like I'm always gaining some insight from somebody when I make public presentations, and this is one of the opportunities here in Roswell, and anybody listening in our dreamland and coast-to-coast audiences, uh who may be here or who may be coming uh I would uh, really uh, welcome seeing you there and I think that what I'm going to present I already know rests in hard physical data that we all have and is substantial what I am concerned about is if we have material uh tomorrow at the press conference that we don't have hard data about then it may be that it, it is a problem if we are not all reporting hard science when it comes to hard physical material. And If they've got it, hooray. But in terms of the business magnesium, based on the conversations tonight, it sounded as if they may have something that is different and that what they really feel mm. that they've got the strong material for is 26 some elements with perhaps some isotopic anomalies and uh, where that specific crash or retrieval is from, they haven't announced that either. So Tomorrow, we'll learn what it is that they announced, but to you and to our audiences, I think that the business magnesium material that we have affectionately come to know as Art's Parts remains a baffling mystery but is somehow connected into the world of electrogravitics. Mm.
1: Well, what they're claiming in this um, release is that the isotope ratio test prove it's not of Earth. They're saying it is a manufactured material of extraterrestrial origin, keyword manufactured. Uh, so it's not uh, a hunk of rock or something. It is, right. it is something that is actually manufactured. Based
3: on what Chris said tonight, I think that's the 26-some elemental composition, which is something completely different from our layered business, magnesium. Mm -hmm. But you know, Art, what this comes down to, if they've got the hard data and if it can go to the scientific community and if it begins to make some sort of a headway for this area which is that there appears to be their hard physical material that, ought, that, the, uh, that they are so anomalous that they deserve the kind of research that we've been doing on the business magnesium, and it's paying off with the kind of research and the interest in scientists. It is. The, it may not prove to uh, psychops, but we are, inch by inch, uh, we are beginning to find ourselves Uh, being able to lay out to a public that there is material and there are scientists and there are edges of scientific research which seem to be merging with this whole issue of a non-human intelligence being the, uh, if you want to say being the reason for why we have this material and this is exactly what, uh, Colonel Corso Lays out in his book, the day after Roswell. And of
6: course,
1: we're going to be interviewing Colonel Corso on Sunday. On
3: Sunday, on Dreamland, and hopefully all will go well, and we can talk with him for two two hours at least. Mm-hmm. So um, there is a kind of convergence and a kind of merging here in this 50th anniversary, uh, and yet at a time when the Air Force still has been trying to explain it all away as balloons and dummies and the most refreshing thing is I flew in with a producer from NBC and we were talking about the whole 50 years and all of the explanations and he turned to me and he said, you know, that most recent Air Force report, Mm
4: -hmm.
3: none of us are buying it. (laughs) <laughs>
1: Nobody's buying yeah, it. Yeah, he says dummies
3: in the fifties trying to explain the forties. He says, "What in the world?" He says they finally got our attention. Well, maybe that's the ultimate irony.
1: I did a show last night, uh, Linda, with Jamie Chandaray, and um, a very, very interesting individual named Bon Johnson, uh, Doctor Bon Johnson, who worked for the uh, Star Telegram down in Texas, and actually went into General Ramey's office and took the photographs. Oh really? Oh yeah, we interviewed him last night.
3: And did he support the notion that there was something contrived about presenting uh, the balloon pieces, as uh, Jesse Marcel Sr. had said before he died?
6: Well,
1: he said that what he photographed was not a balloon and that in his opinion and I'm just about exactly quoting him Mm -hmm. here um, if it had been a balloon uh, that um, uh, the general uh, would have probably resigned rather than had his uh, photograph taken with balloon debris that was what Bon Johnson said Dr Bon Johnson
3: and uh, Colonel Corso in his book The Day After Roswell has made it very clear that our government felt that it was over a barrel in all directions coming out of World War II faced with total unknowns both in bodies alive and dead and craft that had no understandable technology and that the only uh, safe course that they could devise at the time in the 40s to keep any advanced technology out of the hands of perceived Cold War enemies or hot war enemies Mm -hmm. and to keep what they considered to be a um, a status quo in the mass population uh, to prevent any kind of mass panic was a policy of silence, which for right or wrong has been for 50 years in place and apparently still is, but in this strange effort to trot out these 1950 dummies, they are in a strange way admitting that there were bodies.
1: Linda, I would like you to do... And this
3: gets into art, the issue of extraterrestrial biological entities and who they are, what they are, and why.
1: All right. Linda, um, we're about out of time, so what I would like to do is ask you uh, tomorrow after this uh, news conference, I would like, A, a private call from you. Right. And then, B, tomorrow evening, uh, if it seems appropriate, uh, to bring you on for a short time to give me and to give everybody your assessment of the scientific validity of what is presented tomorrow.
3: Right. And I, and
1: I think we both agree, and we do. You said it, and I'll say yeah. it now. If they've got the goods and this is the smoking gun, then we'll all stand up and clap.
3: Right, and it may be that they've got the real goods on that one... Multiple, multiple element one, and that our bismuth, bismuth magnesium material may in itself be a separate part because even uh, the letter writer himself said that the bismuth magnesium material his grandfather wrote in his diary came from only the underside of this wedge-shaped right. object. Exactly. And we received aluminum pieces. Remember, in the first shipment. Sure. And whatever that they're presenting tomorrow, if it's multiple elemental composition may have come either from a different part, a different craft, anything. And the whole thing that I'm hoping...
1: We may have back-engineered stuff on our hands. I mean, we have no way of knowing at this point. See,
3: and back-engineering means it has to have started with something in the first place that was unknown.
1: All right. Linda, I think you've uh, encapsulated everything that's going on very well indeed. I thank you for being on the program.
3: Well, and Bud is here with me now. Do you want... Uh, to uh, segue into him here or what?
0: Well, let me talk uh, to you during the break about that, which is now. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997. Presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired July 3rd, 1997. Good morning,
1: everybody. My guests and Linda actually is still
0: here. Uh, Linda Moulton Howe,
1: Emmy Award-winning documentary producer, investigator of crop circles and animal mutilations, and strange metal parts, and talk show hosts. <laughs> Coming up shortly, Bud Hopkins. Uh, great to have Bud here. Intruders, missing time. And his latest witness. Uh, So we've got a uh, kind of a loaded evening, if you will.
7: Okay, so you've got Streamlink for full access to CoastoCoastAM.com. You've downloaded the Apple iPhone app to take it all with you on the go, and you get the daily Coast Zone email newsletter delivered right to your inbox. But aren't you forgetting something? Yes, you are. It's the one and only After Dark magazine. Coast to Coast AM puts out a monthly four-color magazine that readers have been enjoying for more than fifteen years. And each month you can read very personal editorials from me, George Norrie, interviews, which covers areas that you don't hear on the air, articles from from guests which are not on the Internet and relevant news stories that don't always get covered by the mainstream. Subscribe now and cover all of your Coast to Coast AM media bases. Call our new number at one 261 6392 That's one 261 6392 It's $39.95 for 12 monthly issues. You can also subscribe online at coasttocoastam.com. That's www.coasttocoastam.com.
0: Here's what you missed on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. Why does
7: it seem that evil spirits seem to come through Ouija boards?
8: Some people claim that they use the Ouija board and nothing adverse happens. However, it's my opinion that somehow it opens a door and there seem to be evil spirits just waiting for that opportunity, for somebody to be sensitive enough that they can take over some of their control. They'll change and start showing their true colors.
0: Now we take you back to the night of July 3rd, 1997, on Art Bell, somewhere in time.
1: Back now uh, to Roswell, New Mexico center of all kinds of things that are happening and pending. Here is Lynn Bolton Howe again. Hi, Linda.
3: Art, hi. And where we left off is the irony that when the Air Force trotted out yet a third alleged closed case explanation for what might have happened in the corona crash, at least, not even discussing any of the other sites, they would trot out these dummy bodies from the 50s to explain something in which there are dozens and dozens of eyewitnesses from 1947 at least. And this, ironically, says that the government in a funny backhand sort of way is acknowledging bodies of some sort. Well, that was the 40s into the 50s, and at least in the modern age, this issue of first human descriptions of something falling into a non-human or extraterrestrial biological entity category, that is a government phrase that is used, the Ebens, was the Betty and Barney Hill case in 1961 in New Hampshire. And with me is Bud Hopkins, a man who has been in the trenches on this difficult story of the human abduction syndrome now since at least the end of the 1970s has done two of the most important books in the literature, The Groundbreaking, Missing Time, and Intruders, the newest book, Having to Do Witness with an Extraordinary Case in New York. And here in Roswell, at the 50th anniversary of trying to remind us, really, that something extraordinary happened in these deserts around here, he is going to be discussing the whole issue of the evolution of non-human extraterrestrial biological entities, as they have been described in the human abduction syndrome. Not only in this century, but going back, or at least the last 50 years, but going back perhaps even earlier. And I'm now going to introduce a man that I have known since I did a strange harvest in 1980 when his book, Missing Time, came out. I have known and respected this man for a very long time. And uh, Bud Hopkins, uh, the man who has made us pay attention to the mm. fact that a non-human intelligence uh, appears to have been interacting with humans for a very long time, and here he is.
1: All right. Hi, Hi Art. Hi, Bud. Great to speak with you again. Great to speak with you. Uh, Bud, Lynn, as she introduced you, she talked about the evolution of EBEs, mm-hmm. and you know, We never have heard very much about the evolution of EBEs prior to, um, oh, even the 50s perhaps, Uh, but you're saying there is a history?
8: Well, it's more the evolution of their interaction with us than uh, their own personal uh, evolution, which uh, I don't think any of us really know very much about. But uh, the thing that's really fascinating is, of course, there were UFO sightings from eons ago and and, uh, some of which are quite interesting back in the Middle Ages and so forth. Um, But uh, I think the real uh, uh, kind of modern uh, whole series of UFO sightings uh, that were really taken very seriously began World War II when uh, we thought they were some kind of Nazi secret weapon. Right uh the so called Sioux fighters and then of course when we started capturing German pilots who said what are those things, those discs that you send up following our plane we realized they weren't German but um, and of course we go on into Roswell and the nineteen forty seven wave and the fifty two wave and so forth and so on. Um but I think that the one thing that wasn't really being looked at very seriously is exactly what they're doing if they're flying around. Sure. And I think Roswell could be regarded as uh uh, a crash of a getaway car at a time when nobody yet figured out what the crime was.
4: <laughs> Pretty well. Uh
8: in a certain sense, uh human beings have always been the object of the uh UFO occupants' interest and uh I think that uh of course the, the abduction phenomenon which uh the public tends to think of as uh somehow beginning with the Betty and Barney Hill case, the 1961 case that came to light in 66. But it was just, of course, the first one that's come to light. And I have, uh, I've worked with two people who had uh, abduction cases in the 1920s, uh, I, and they're totally classic cases with uh, every um, kind of uh, post, uh, post, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, symptom showing up. Can you Mark. tell us? Can you tell
1: us something about those? I, I've never heard a word about anything from the 1920s.
8: Yeah. Well. Okay. W- w- just one example. Uh, the woman was, uh, at this time, about seven years old. Uh, she went outside and was playing. She, uh, This was in um, uh, a little town near New York City, Rockland County. She saw a kind of glint of light, even though it was somewhat overcast, and looked up, and there was this very large object that she said looked like a kind of balloon, a dirigible, uh, she, except she said the thing was metal, and it was just above the trees, and it was quite huge. And she watched in fascination, and these small figures uh, started floating down from the uh, this huge object and um, she got of course terrified at that point because they were staring at her big eyes i mean all very classic things and this woman, of course, when I interviewed her in the 1970s was uh, elderly and was not at all familiar with this material. What year had this occurred? Uh, this occurred about 1928. 1928. And uh, at any rate, she ran from the object, from these uh, figures, and um, the next thing she knew, uh, she was uh, quaking and in terror, and her mother was calling, and she had been something like two hours late for coming in for dinner. And she had no account of where she'd been for those two hours. Here's a missing time classic case. Uh, and she found that she had a, um, uh, a deep cut on her right leg that she didn't remember how it uh, was formed. And there was no blood. The cut was holding together. And uh, from that point on, she began having uh, all kinds of psychological problems, fears. She used to go up in the attic. She had a certain little place she would uh, make her own little a um, place to go and play. She was terrified ever to go in the attic, never would do it again. She, uh, would never, uh, stay at home by herself, even though she, at the age of seven she did frequently. She insisted her parents be there with her. There were all kinds of problems. Anyway, and on and on it went. But, um it's just one, one more case, uh, that could have happened, of course, yesterday here in, in, uh, the United States rather than uh, back in the
1: 1920s. All right, and then we can even go back to too much earlier times. We can look at glyphs that appear to show creatures or craft.
8: Right. I, I think there's, you're right. There's a tremendous amount of evidence suggesting that they have made visits before, but and the abduction uh, phenomenon is, is kind of hard to establish prior to the century, to the uh, 20th century because we really can't interview people. It's very hard right. to know what. Uh, to make of some of the written accounts, but uh, but what -hmm. what would a
1: continuing uh, interaction with human beings suggest to you? Let's say that it's been going on for as long as we've been here.
4: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, If you look back at the glyphs and and presume that it was some of the same stuff going on, what would that suggest to you with regard to uh, motive?
8: Well, that's hard to say, and it's possible, of course, that motives have changed over the period of time, over, over the, the many centuries. Uh, I, I feel in a very, uh, very intense way that this whole thing is speeding up, that the interaction, uh, might have been very, very rare, very sparse in years before. Alan Hayek made the suggestion that, uh, uh, if, uh, we went on into the 25th century and NASA had developed all kinds of amazing craft that we might have objects that are non, uh, not manned objects but that have traveled other solar systems and are monitoring those, uh, various planets at various solar systems if, uh, these are the planets where the conditions for life, uh, really obtain and they would simply sort of notice how things are developing and he said, Of course, if intelligent life begins to develop someplace, maybe our advanced NASA would send in um, a more intense series of uh, surveillance craft and ultimately perhaps would land. And uh, ultimately, of course, you said once that planet might be on the verge of space travel itself and having developed atomic energy is uh, becoming possibly a threat. Uh, maybe at that point there is a very, very serious surveillance and study of that planet. So in a certain sense, the uh, the involvement with, of the planet and with life forms there would be changing over the years. But what seems to happen now to me is that uh, the, the whole attempt, and I think this is central to the entire UFO phenomenon, the attempt of the UFO occupants to create co- some kind of a hybrid mix between humans and aliens. Uh, that that whole process is speeding up and in a in a way that's it's rather alarming. Uh it also of course suggests a reason why there would be uh alien interest in us that would be maintained in a covert way over quite a period of time. Because uh since we're not fruit flies, if you were working uh generation after generation within the same family, within the same bloodline, uh you uh, I mean this in a very simple minded way, you, you mix uh, half alien, half human characteristics and then uh that particular mix is uh hybrid mix is reunited again with uh, a fully human uh, um, ovum or sperm and you would get then something that's three quarters human and only one quarter alien over it would take many generations to bring this particular hybrid mix closer and closer to resembling human beings. Uh, And I think that the evidence would suggest that this is exactly what's going on. And for some reason, the UFO occupants need to create this hybrid mix for whatever purposes we do not know.
1: Well, but we all know
8: that in, in the course of
1: human evolution, there is in fact a missing link that cannot yet be accounted for. Right. Something happened.
8: Right. Well, and there's certainly no reason to assume that, uh, that there couldn't be, uh, uh, we couldn't have been helped along uh, on our development towards intelligent, upright life and so forth by uh, uh, aliens from the outside. There's been, of course, infinite amount of speculation about this uh, over the years, but uh, we don't really know for sure. Okay, I, I wrote a book myself. It's called The Quickening from a layman's uh-huh. point
1: of view which looks at nearly every aspect of human endeavor Mm -hmm. from uh, politics to uh, social behavior to the economy to uh, the environment and I called it the quickening because I observed simply and documented that in nearly every aspect of human behavior uh, we're experiencing a quickening. Things are exponentially getting faster and faster and faster.
8: Absolutely. You agree with
1: that? It oh, fits in.
8: Oh, absolutely. And uh, well, I mean, technologically, I mean, it's it's uh, an exponential jump. I mean, when you think of where technology was in 1947, say, yes. where it is now, it's just incredible. Um, and of course, uh, uh, I, I think that that a great deal of that is just intrinsic to the process of uh, of scientific development. I don't know that you have to uh, posit alien interference there. But uh, certainly, this this intermix with human beings, which seems to me to be central and uh, and really quite an alarming aspect of all of it, uh, gives a motivation for the for maintaining uh, a whole covert uh, attack, so to speak. Uh, The the thing incidentally that I uh, wrote about in my book Witnessed, uh, which is just now out as a paperback. Uh, has to do with a uh, a UFO abduction that was uh, not only witnessed but uh, it was deliberately, it seemed to me, staged so that many important people uh, and independent witnesses would see what they could do. It's the first time we've had any report that I'm aware of that would uh, seem to be like the mythical idea of the landing on the White House lawn. And it seems to herald a new development in their attitude towards even uh, Earthly government. Witnessed, can you give us a brief idea of what it is uh, Witnessed run? is about uh, uh, a case where a woman uh, was seen floating out a 12-story window with three alien figures in a downtown New York apartment building at 3.15 in the morning. Wow. Uh, this was back in 1989. and uh, I have witnesses to all or part of this incident at five different locations. Uh, automobile engines stopped, and of course, uh, there isn't all that much traffic or all that many people up and about in 3.15 on a weeknight in New York, but there's still plenty of people. Uh, but, um, people who were driving across the Brooklyn Bridge on the FDR Drive, uh, South Street, some of the neighborhood streets, car engines stopped, but the most important aspect of who stopped, uh, was that there was a particular, um, small procession of cars which had just left a, a late night meeting at the UN, and they yes. were heading down towards Governors Island to move on to another, um, another meeting elsewhere. And these important political figures all had their automobile engines die and uh, witnessed this.
4: Holy As if
8: the aliens wanted those people to see what they could do. Bud, I have never heard a
1: word about this. Now let me get this straight. <laughs> you said, you said, a woman
8: floated out or through a building with alien beings.
4: Right. And a beam of light,
1: this whole thing
8: taking between a minute and a minute and a half, something like that. And this was witnessed by how many people? Well, I have, as I said, I have witnesses at five different locations who Mm -hmm. saw all a part of this. And in terms of the uh, aftermath of this case, which is ongoing uh, because of the involvement of all these uh, people who were um, really principals in it. The book that I've written uh, deals with about 20 different individuals who are um, who are enmeshed in this case, one level or another. And of course, uh, uh, the wonderful thing, from the point of view of uh, of, of presenting this as evidence, is that uh, this case wipes out any possible explanation uh, that the the, uh, uh, skeptics have come up with, which are usually Sleep paralysis and illusions, and everything sure i sure I've heard them all. But yeah. this is incredible. Everything's the hope. How can you be writing
1: this book now? And and I have not heard of this case. No,
8: I don't know. I guess that says something about the publicity department at Pocket Books, my publisher. Wow. But at any rate, uh, it's uh, uh, and the the, the the this case uh, uh, occurred. The incident occurred. The central incident. Um, on, uh, November 30th, 1989, and that was a date in the, uh, real center of the breakup of the, uh, Soviet Union when all kinds of, uh, international events were, were boiling left and right. It was the day that, uh, for instance, that Gorbachev met with the Pope. It was the day before Bush, uh, began his, uh, uh, summit meeting with Gorbachev in Malta, and there were, there was a general strike across, uh, Czechoslovakia. Uh, this was really a, a wild time internationally, and at that moment, it seemed the UFO occupants decided to stop this procession, which contained some very, very important political figures, uh, more or less to show what they could do.
1: And you ha- then had to approach these people and try and get them to tell so, their story. I mean, yeah, they... well,
8: m- most of them won't uh, come pu- uh, uh, go public with it. You know, Art, when and you know this as well as any of us. The major weapon that the skeptics have used over the years, uh, I think, to try to attack all of the work that we do is essentially witness intimidation.
1: Yes, oh yes. Uh,
8: this is the one basic weapon they have. If they can make it seem so ludicrous and ridiculous a subject that anybody who says he's participated or she's seen this or witnessed that uh, is automatically a figure of fun, then uh, you can pretty much make sure that anybody is up for tenure at a university or uh, trying to get a government contract or whatever it may be. You're they're they're to... out of
1: business, yeah. They're out
8: of business. All right, right
1: but hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back to you. My God, what a case witnessed.
0: A woman, and aliens witnessed uh, at how many different locations? We'll get back to Bud in a moment. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, An encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997. bell somewhere in time on premier radio networks tonight an encore presentation of coast-to-coast a.m. from july 3rd 1997
1: Uh, stick around I guarantee we will take your breath away there's no question about it right now with me is Bud Hopkins he'll be back in a moment his latest book is witnessed and we're gonna roll over that one more time I mean uh, the story he's telling in that book that'll take your breath away all right Oh, gosh. Uh, How that could have occurred and uh, that information have been gathered and not uh, have become public before now is incredible. Anyway, um, very quickly, let me note for my audience that my book, uh, The Quickening, the one I talked about a little while ago uh, with Bud, is going to be generally uh, um, available in stores uh, in late August and early September nationwide. And uh, we are now at the final, and I mean the final opportunity for you to get a signed first edition copy of the book. What's going to happen is, uh, now through um, Dreamland, this coming uh, Sunday with, by the way, uh, Colonel Philip Corzo, you can get a signed first edition copy. After that, forget it. I'm done signing. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. So if you want one, you've got to order between now and Sunday. That's the cutoff time. Then there may be a period of time when the book will not be available at all because it will be basically sold out. They'll go into another printing, and it will be available nationwide. And so I just wanted to get all that out.
0: You're listening to Art Bell's Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997.
1: Back now to Roswell where there is a gathering of the Eagles and one of them is Bud Hopkins. Uh, whose name you should know very well indeed, wrote Intruders, Missing Time, and now this incredible new book called Witnessed. um, Bud, uh, from Salt Lake City, I've got a fax here begging you, and I I have to recall a lot of the audience is younger, Mm -hmm. uh, asks, what is a
8: Foo fighter? What is a Foo fighter? Uh Okay. Well, during World War II, um, both in the Pacific Theater and European Theater, uh, American pilots uh, reported these objects coming up near their planes that uh, ranged in size from being quite small maybe a, you know a foot or two across all the way up to very very large discs sometimes they seemed to be light, sometimes they seemed to be solid objects especially in the daytime these things would almost attach themselves to the wing t- tips of the planes and fly along and then zoom away and there was a uh, comic strip at the time called Smokey Stover and uh, one of the Sayings in the, uh, the comic strip was where there's uh, where there's smoke there's foo, with feu the French <laughs> word for fire. So these things were somehow called foo fighters, and ah, uh, that was uh, 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 spelled F-O-O usually instead of the French spelling.
1: So that was uh, that was the explanation for flying discs then.
8: Then yeah, exactly, we we saw them in in a military context and. Uh, Incidentally, uh, one, a couple of things uh, popped into mind from uh, from things you mentioned, Art, about uh, uh, this case that I've written about and witnessed. And one is uh, a woman witness on the Brooklyn Bridge when her car stopped, the engine died, uh, the lights went out, as it as happened to several other cars. And she said, when this thing lit up, and she saw uh, these little figures, they looked like little balls from a distance, rolling out of a window. 12 stories up and then being lifted up into the craft and uh, you're rotating lights around the craft. She said, you know, but it was so real it looked fake. And I thought, they're making a movie down there. I'm watching a movie being made. Uh-huh. She thought this was uh, Steven Spielberg or something. What about the woman herself? Well, the woman herself, uh, Linda Cortila, who I had worked with, um, I had met uh, her and uh, maybe eight months before. She's uh, an Italian-American woman born in this country. Uh, Her husband has a a blue-collar job. They have two sons, and uh, it's a very quiet little family. And uh, she had been, uh, she had had abduction experiences, and that's why she contacted me. It's a long story, but uh, she called me this particular morning and said uh, she called me like nine or ten in the morning, and she said, "But I think something happened to me last night." Uh, Just as she was going to bed, she uh, felt a presence in the room. This is, you know, very, very typical. She started to get very frightened, and she felt this paralysis, uh, which was beginning in her feet, creeping up her body, up her legs. And she was afraid to open her eyes, and finally got up the courage, and of course saw this small figure with huge black eyes standing at the foot of the bed. And uh, she picked up a big pillow and threw at it, which I think was kind of funny, and knocked it back and then was terrified because she thought, oh it's going to retaliate, and, and her main fear was it would hurt her children. Uh, her... The, the, the pillow knocked it back. Yes. You know, I,
1: let me just quickly touch on this or ask you about this, Bud. I have heard in repeatedly, again and again and again, in these abduction stories, mm-hmm. where people have pushed or struck out or now thrown a pillow at them, uh, they are physically affected very easily, as if to suggest they are not physically strong.
8: Absolutely, you're absolutely right. No, that's that is the report. People, are, but, and I think that's the reason uh, human beings are, are paralyzed, um, because I think uh, they are quite physically fragile. The UFO occupants, and and uh, therefore they have to protect themselves. You know, it's an interesting thing that uh, back in the first case that we really heard about, as I mentioned, of course, the Betty Barney Hill case. Mm-hmm in 66, is when we first read about it, uh, that Betty Hill, who's a rather uh, short lady and uh, not particularly formidable, was uh, more or less given free movement. Uh, she was walked into the craft and she was not uh, through much of this paralyzed. But her husband, who was a, a tall and powerfully built African-American man, was uh, pretty much paralyzed through the whole thing and unable to move, as if they understood that he was the greater threat.
6: She. Um,
1: how did you manage to put all this together so quietly?
8: Uh, well, what happened is when I worked with uh, this woman, Linda Cortella, um, and we explored this her experience. Uh, Everything she remembered under hypnosis, uh, which was that she was floated out this window and lifted up into the craft. Uh, she didn't see anything out the window. She was um, uh, just except a blue beam of light around her. Uh, in actual fact, as we discovered later from the witnesses, there was one alien above her and two below her, and she was in a fixed position in between, with her in a par- uh, paralyzed state and her. Head couldn't move, so she's staring straight ahead and didn't see any other aliens. So she was lifted up into the craft, and a fairly it sounds a little wild to say this routine um, a series of uh, medical quasi medical experiments or tests procedures took place, and then she was returned. Uh, so there was never any sense a that we had witnesses, or b that uh, there were aliens above and below her in mid air.
1: Uh, How did the story develop? In other words, um, did you hear first from
9: her? Well
8: I, well, I heard the story first from her about that incident, you know, because I'd been working with her on other things. Sure. Then uh, this this was just uh, when I we looked into it and with the hypnotic regression session. We put the thing aside. And, uh, I mean, I get uh, probably, I, I, I hear of probably an, at least one abduction case a week from within the New York City area. Mm-hmm. Uh, So these things are not a surprise.
1: But then how did
8: you stumble on... Well, the the, the big take was that I got a letter from uh, 15 or 16 months later. I got a letter from uh, two men reporting themselves to be police officers, saying that they could no longer keep this incident to themselves. And they started to report that they were um, on duty and they were in a car. It, It turns out that they were, in fact... Security agents with this important political figure, with one of them, and uh, their car engines died, and they were sitting there, not knowing what was going on, and saw this thing unfold. Wow! Uh, all of a sudden, and this is interesting too. They didn't see the UFO. No one saw the UFO arrive. It was just suddenly there and turned on its lights, as if uh, it was almost waiting till the audience was in their seats and then suddenly turned on all the lights, and they looked up and they saw this unfold. They saw these figures pop out the window. This happened very quickly and unrolled, and uh, they were quite close to the building, uh, which again would suggest the whole thing was choreographed. And um, the uh, They didn't know what to do. One man said, what are we going to do? Get out of the car and shoot at it? The, you know, They had no idea. They were just paralyzed with, uh, with fear and confusion.
1: Were these uh, New
8: York City police officers? No. As it um, turns out they were—they were, they were uh, government security agents. They—they they first in their first letter to me, they said uh, law enforcement officers, but they didn't uh, take their confidence at first. Right. And ultimately, they admitted that there was a third person in the, in the car with him, and he was this important political figure, uh, who incidentally I have had—I I have had an interview with him. Uh, in the presence of another person, a reporter. and uh, Is it a name we would know? Well, it's, uh, at the time it was a name you would know and his position is a name which would be extremely familiar to everybody. Now the thing is he wrote me a letter saying he would deny it, an unsigned letter of course, he would deny it uh, if I ever used his name but he hoped that someday he would be able to come forward and that we could sit and talk. Uh, the letter, incidentally, had many characteristics which I was able to check against uh, uh, legitimate letters from this same political figure. So you know it was from this absolutely, person, absolutely. Yeah. Know. And then, meanwhile, I received a letter from uh, uh, a while later yet from the woman on the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, whose car stopped, who was, who I just quoted. Uh, the reason that I ran into her is that she contacted me. She had seen a CBS program about abductions. Yes. And it had stirred up something she'd been trying to put out of her mind. What she had seen, and uh, again, she had sort of wanted to believe maybe this, maybe this was a movie she was seeing, being made. And at any rate, she went into a bookstore, and and uh, since I've probably done more work in the seal than anybody else, and my books are pretty available. Yes. She picked my name out of the bookstore, and uh, wrote me. Uh, some of the other people we have uncovered through various methods, it's a, it's a complicated, long, long story. Uh, it's the most complicated thing I've ever dealt with because it seems to have a cast of thousands. But, uh, the interesting thing is with some of these people as I, uh, interviewed them, They said the same thing to me. Um, I uh, went home and I thought, was this real and what what, what was I seeing and this is crazy? And we turned on television and radio, listened to see if anybody had reported this and we looked in the papers and there was nothing. So I said, well, did you think of reporting it to anybody? And everyone said, well, of course not. I don't want people to think I'm crazy. (laughs) Um, Let me ask you
1: a skeptic's question. Okay. You have written extensively on the subject of uh, abduction, Mm -hmm. missing time, all the rest of it, and now this latest. Do you ever worry personally, Bud, that your writings and your storytellings induce false memory syndrome?
8: Well, uh, uh, that's certainly an absolutely genuine concern. And uh, it's something that I do uh, worry about. And uh, One of the things that I try to do when I'm working with people is to test them every chance I get, um, if especially under hypnosis, but just in regular conversations, to, to try to lead them away from what would be the patterns that I'm very aware of. And I'll give you an example of, of, of this kind of leading. Uh, if I'm working with a little child, and say uh, this is a four-year-old, and he's telling me, uh, a, he told his parents who called me. And, That he's been, you know, he won't sleep in his room. He's very frightened. These little men have come in with big black eyes and they take him up through the window and into a room and put him on a table and so forth. And the mother has discovered, you know, a puncture mark in the abdomen or whatever it is. And uh, the whole thing looks pretty, pretty ominous, uh, (sighs) suggesting it really happened. But when I interview the child, I will do everything I can to lead him away from a UFO Explanation by uh, figuring if he's making it up or he's I don't know heard his parents talking whatever it is uh, or maybe even the subject of abuse and trying
1: to attach mentally some other explanation exactly
8: anything like that but anyway the child will say they took me in the room and I'll say well uh, when they took you in the room then what did they give you to eat because they always give you something to eat which of course they never do. Huh, a test. And, and of course, if the child says, "Well, we had Oreo cookies," yeah. Had, yeah. but you don't get that. You, what you get is they didn't give me anything to eat. You know. Okay. Um, uh, uh, but but on, a, on an adult level, I mean, I can do this over and over again with adults who are unaware that that I'm. I know the patterns, and I can ask questions that would lead away from it. But but your concerns here are extremely valid. I mean. There's, that's one reason why we have to be very, very careful and do this work as seriously. And incidentally, I've had now eight different psychiatrists come to me because of their own abduction experiences, and I've done more hypnosis with uh, mental health professionals, as a matter of fact, as subjects than you could possibly imagine.
1: But uh, Whitley is a good friend of mine, and something he said was going to cause me to ask you a question. He said uh, that in his encounters. There are certain things that even in, in the books he's written, he has held back certain key pieces of information about what he calls the visitors
4: mm-hmm.
1: so that when he hears accounts or sees photographs, he's able to to look for these very special things that he has not related publicly on purpose. And so it makes me ask you the same question. Oh,
8: yeah, well, that's, that's been a, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Whitley, of course, had read *Missing Time*, uh, which is the, re- the reason that he came to me in the first place. And m- in *Missing Time*, I had uh, gone into that at length as a basic police technique that uh, that I've used and used in the uh, uh, the first major case that I ever investigated back in 1975, which was the landing in North Hudson Park. And in that case, uh, this was a park directly across the Hudson River from about 86th Street in Manhattan. I mean, here's a UFO landing, uh, something like 10 small figures getting out and digging soil samples. And I ended up uh, with witnesses at two different locations who didn't know one another. But um, each of them told me an interesting thing about the craft when I asked about it. They said that in answer to what... Color it was. Each one said it was so dark it looked black. Huh. Now black is not a kind of color you associate with UFO cases. So when I published that case in the Village Voice in New York City, um, I of course withheld that particular detail. Aspect, yeah. And uh, so we we rounded up something like five more witnesses who said <laughs> accurately it was black. So that's something I've been doing all along, and and uh, I think that has to be done.
1: Do you include that kind of uh, uh, control evidence in the books you write
8: uh, yeah mm-hmm. oh no there, there's in, in virtually everything i 've written uh, I do have I keep material out uh, that uh, yeah that has to be done um, i think I think that uh, that a lot of this work is uh, i mean it, it's a strange mix of uh, you 're both uh, uh, a detective and I suppose a psychologist and healer all rolled into one, whether you had the the expertise in those fields or not. But that's what you end up being. You're doing that kind of de facto work. And this is, of course, a standard uh, police technique. Is there
1: any single common thread or threads that you would name uh, that weave their way through all the abduction cases or the ones that you consider valid?
8: Uh, Oh, I think there are many, uh, many threads. that, that weave their way through. And, uh, um, uh, I mean, I could, I could go, start going into that. It would take a while. But, uh, I, I think without any doubt the, um, the whole reproductive aspect of this, uh, the interest in, uh, this, uh, ongoing genetic experiment, it was something that was present in the Betty Barney Hill case which nobody paid attention to. And it was, in a strange way, one detail was held back. In John Fuller's book, he did not mention that that, uh, Barney Hill had had a sperm sample taken from him. Oh. And the reason that was not put in the book was because in 1966, I guess that was considered too gamy a detail. Too risque. To publish. Uh, And of course, uh, they did talk about uh, the um, uh, ova samples or pregnancy test or whatever it was called being done to Betty. But even back there. Uh, I, I did a, a major, of course, uh, pair of physical procedures was not particularly noticed with any, by anybody, including myself.
4: Mm.
8: All right. And, Listen, we're
1: at the top of the hour. Uh, okay. It's a good long break. Can you stick around?
8: Well, actually, uh, I, 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 if I could give the, the phone back to Linda here, I'll I, I tell you why. I'm. I'm really running out of steam fast. All right. It's a I understand. very long day. All right. but Let's take this up another time.
1: All right. Let's indeed do that. In fact, I think we've got you scheduled for a dreamland somewhere yes, down there. Right. Uh, Bud, thank you. And uh, if you would hand the phone back to Linda, we'll uh, check with her when we come back at the top well, of the Well, I hour.
8: certainly shall, and I really appreciate that.
0: Thank you very much. Bud Hopkins, thank you. All right. Woo. That's some book. Witnessed. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997. Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997.
1: Top of the morning, everybody, and welcome to the program if you're just joining at this hour. Hour number one was Linda Moulton Howe from Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, she reported extensively the history of the bismuth magnesium material that she's going to be talking about tomorrow in Roswell. Concurrent with that, of course, there is a scheduled news conference at 9 a.m. at the Rierson Auditorium, which uh, should be very, very interesting, and we'll see what results from that with Chris Wyatt and uh, Paul Davids and others, I guess some scientists. And they're going to reveal uh, that they have material, it is said that uh, will show isotope uh, ratio tests that are not of Earth origin on manufactured material that they claim came from the Roswell crash. That'll be a big bang, and we're all curious to see exactly what it is. I'll begin getting reports on on that, of course, uh, as it is presented tomorrow, and we'll get them to you tomorrow night. In addition to that, uh, tomorrow night we've got Michael Hesman as a guest, and he wrote... um, uh, his book is Beyond Roswell. He's here from Germany. So we're into, obviously, extensive coverage of Roswell and related stuff. In our number two, we had Bud Hopkins, who has just authored a book called Witnessed, a most remarkable story with lots of good witnesses regarding an abduction. Now we're going to go into open lines. Linda's gone bed. She's going to be up uh, for this news conference in the morning and the goings-on at Roswell. What I do want to do is open one line for those of you in Roswell, uh, either investigators, reporters, uh, people who are in Roswell uh, one way or the other, but we're going to enter open lines now. So uh, if you are in Roswell and if you are a, an investigator... Uh, If you want to report on what's going on in Roswell, then tonight I'm going to establish the Roswell line. Now, I'm asking that everybody else on that one line hold off. Please, if you're calling on that line, hang up and call on any other line. But what we usually call our first-time caller line, we're going to reserve for the balance of the evening for anybody who is in Roswell... Uh, For that matter, any of the principals involved in the news conference, not that I expect to hear from them, but I would like to give them that opportunity, and I'd I'd also like to note they have my private number, uh, just in case they do want to say something, uh, they know how to get hold of me. In the meantime, the Roswell line is hereby established. Please, um, everybody respect that line, if you would, and do not call it Roswell only,
0: now we take you back to the night of July 3rd, 1997, on Ark Bell, somewhere in time.
1: go to open lines now, and anything you want to talk about is certainly fair game. There's enough going on. Heaven knows there is enough going on. Um, To the phones we go. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Morning, Art. First
10: time caller. Yes, sir. Where are you? This is Ed in Chicago. All right, Ed. Uh, I have a question about advanced speech. Uh, Uh How does one really know do you mean reverse speech? Uh, I'm sorry, reverse speech. Yes. How does one really know what you're saying uh, if you try to think about it in advance in your subconscious mind? I mean, how how do you really know if you're sincere or not? Because it sounds like the way you describe it, you're taking a chance, and, and you can say that uh, you could have positive or negative effects. You just don't know. You're just taking a chance.
1: I'm not quite discerning your, your question properly. Um, reverse speech is an inadvertent subconscious thing. In other words, you cannot control it unless, for example, you are giving a speech, a rehearsed speech. But if you are in normal, emotional, interactive conversation, uh reverse speech is a naturally occurring thing.
10: What I'm trying to do to discern is, is this actually a legitimate science because I have a discussion with a friend of mine constantly. and uh... It would appear to be.
1: I, look, I'm like everybody else. I, um, I'm, a, I'm kind of skeptical of things, but in the months now that I've been interviewing David Oates and having him uh, do reverse speech clips for us, they're consistently congruent, to use his word, Uh, uh, words with uh, his word with what's being said in forward Mm -hmm. and that seems to prove the science I mean it's repeatable again and again and again if it's um, people talking if it's NASA employees then the subject is space or spaceships if the subject is um, a murder trial uh, then the reversals appear to have to do with the murder, uh, and so forth and so on. And that seems to me to be repeatable and scientific.
10: Well, okay, except, uh, for example, I enjoy your show a lot, and how how would I know, or how would you know that that is actually true if you were to put it in reverse speech? You mean when you say you enjoy the show? Right. Um, because I don't, I don't really quite understand how one subconsciously would know well, subcon- you sub- sub-
1: subconsciously, maybe you hate my guts. No. Well, you don't know show. that. I mean, maybe you do.
10: I wouldn't be listening to the show. Hmm. Number one.
1: Well, you might. Uh, there are people who hate me who listen. I mean, they love to hate me, and so they listen. Uh, so that's that's the point.
10: Well, uh, uh, the time,
1: that's a well il- illustrated point. In, in other words, you're,
10: you're questioning everyone's sincerity when they listen to the show, even though you you don't know whether they no 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 you-
1: no. We were talking only about you. Okay. All right, I'm not questioning, of course I'm not questioning everybody's sincerity. I'm I'm simply, you asked a question, and I said, um, it may be that subconsciously you hate me or hate my show. And you, you might find that out in examination of your reverse speech. Or, on the other hand, you might find out that you are totally congruent, and the reversal might say something like, the show is great or something like that that, that would uh, t- tend to be congruent with what you're saying forward and means you're telling the truth.
10: So, so what is this science supposed to prove, in other words?
1: Uh, it proves, for example, uh, if you say something forward uh, and you're telling the truth, then the reversal will be congruent. The reversal will uh, be consistent with what you're saying forward. Um, however, if subconsciously you don't really mean what you're saying, or put another way, you're lying, then the reversal will uh, be congruent but will reveal you to be a liar. Could, could this, for example, be used in a court of law? Uh, well, not yet. Maybe one day. Uh, and That's the best uh, answer I can give you. Maybe one day. I mean, they still don't admit lie detectors, do they? So, reverse speech is still young. I'm sure there are many who would like to strangle this baby in its cradle. East of the Rockies, you're on the air.
8: Hi. Hi, good morning and happy Independence Day from Lance in Park Hills, Missouri. Thank you, Lance. Welcome. I called uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning, about using reverse speech as a means of dream interpretation. Yes. I was wondering, have you tried this yet or mentioned it to David Oates? No, but the next time we have him on, we will. All right, then, I'll let you go.
1: All right, thank you very much for the ball. Um, sure, why not? Dream interpretation, that would require, I guess, that you would wake up from your dream and immediately dictate your dream into a recorder and then search out the reversals. And there are all kinds of possibilities. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi.
11: Hi, this is Andy in Gainesville. Yes, sir. And I just had a... um another movie comment it's kind of funny in fact I was kind of embarrassed about it I went to see that Men in Black movie really and I didn't laugh you are
1: the first one it's a comedy really right
11: yeah (laughs) and I didn't think it was funny no no I mean maybe it's because I'm like I really buy into a lot of that I mean I know they were making fun and poking fun and uh, Will Smith of course is funny I mean, he's a you know he makes a couple of political jokes, but most of the humor was political in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, speculating that Bill Clinton might be an alien, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Well, I've always but, thought that possible myself. But I
11: thought it was you know, I I found it to be <laughs> serious in some parts. You know, uh-huh. because um, it's stuff that you know people are looking into as a serious area. And I, I was almost embarrassed because my friends like made fun of me because they like you know it was a comedy, Andy. I was like, well, I didn't think it was that funny. I thought it was kind of dramatic in a way.
1: Well, I'll tell you a little secret. I'm working on uh, an interview with a man who's written a book called Men in Black. Uh, not the movie, right. but the serious story of the Men in Black. Oh, I see. And I'm going to have him on the air.
11: Awesome. See, so there's something that this movie was based on in a funny way. I mean, I didn't know anything about...
1: Well, I mean, it's like uh, Mars Attacks. Oh, okay. All right. In the, in that same sense, uh, Men in Black. But there's a serious Genesis to it.
11: Absolutely. Yeah, there was. Would... And I know, of course, I'm making this serious comment in a in a funny way because it turned out to be funny between my friends and myself when we were watching the movie that I didn't laugh, because they're always teasing me about believing in, in
4: <laughs> UFOs,
11: etc. So. Um, Yes. It's a good movie. I, I will say that. I'm not... I'm not, I'm not I'm Look, uh,
1: with regard to belief in UFOs, I believe in UFOs. Oh,
11: absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there are unidentified <laughs> flying objects without question all over our skies. Right. More Americans than not believe in UFOs. Now, do they believe that they contain little green guys?
11: <laughs>
1: That's a separate question.
11: <laughs> well, they were cute anyway.
1: I appreciate the call, sir. All right. Thank you. Thank you. you. Mm-hmm. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning.
12: Good morning. I'm from Phoenix. My name's Linda. Um, I wondered, do you ever delete email without looking at it?
1: Occasionally. Um, I get probably, I'm going to guess now, about three or 400 pieces of email a day.
12: Well, I, I thought that might be the case. So,
1: as I look through it, for example,
12: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for example, I get people put me on these mailing lists. Why in God's name they do it, I don't know. Uh, Right now there's one that's really annoying called Dalnet. Whenever I see a Dalnet message, I delete it automatically. Mm -hmm. If I see a message that I think is spam, I delete it.
4: Mm -hmm. If
1: I see a message that relates to something that's already over with, I generally delete it. Mm -hmm. In other words, you have to do a kind of a triage situation when you get that much email per day. or uh, you're in big trouble.
12: Right. Okay. Well, as I said, I'm from Phoenix, and um, a week ago last Friday, two weeks ago tomorrow night, every time I tried to get on the web, I was told that my user ID was not recognized. i with AOL. They know who I am, and um, it just was very annoying, and I wondered if some of the things going on in Phoenix have to do with the Internet at all. Nah. No. No, okay. I don't
1: think so. Uh, I would call AOL and straighten it out.
12: Yeah, I did. They said it was a system problem. There you are. But, See? Okay, just wonder.
1: But, of course, you're in Phoenix, so... Right. One never knows.
12: Right. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot.
1: Right. Take care. One never knows. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi.
3: Hi, Art. This is Sammy from Arizona, 90 miles from Ground Zero.
1: Oh, how you doing?
3: I'm fine. Um, I have to questions for you. Okay. One could be my own misunderstanding of what um, Richard Holgren had mentioned. Um, you remember when he mentioned the trajectory of Pathfinder to Mars? Yes. Okay. And how he said it was impossible,
12: according to the data that he had, it couldn't reach there by the 4th.
1: No, he did not okay, say that.
13: Yeah, I got it wrong. Can you explain no, that? To
1: me? Uh, well, I can try. Uh, listen on the air. Pathfinder, it would appear now, is going to land on the 4th. Although, until it lands, you can't make that absolute statement. But Pathfinder, and I think I can recall what Richard said, is headed toward Mars like a bullet. Like a bullet on a trajectory. And unless they do something, and they do have fuel on board to do it, that would in some way change that trajectory, they have that power. Uh, It is going to literally impact on Mars, and I'm sure you've seen the illustrations, and bounce and bounce and bounce, and then deploy the rover, uh, which will go uh, uh, crawling about with cameras. And all of this, by the way, is going to occur, talk about synchronicity, all of this is going to occur beginning West Coast time, probably somewhere between I forget what Richard said 10 to 1 somewhere in there Um, I think around 10 o'clock west coast time and now uh, by about 1 o'clock west coast time we should begin to get the first return signals if there are to be any from Pathfinder so there's an awful lot going on on this 4th of July this Independence Day indeed there's a lot uh, Roswell is going on, a big news conference is going on. Uh, the Mars Pathfinder is going to impact on Mars. And there are either there are there are certain things that we are investigating with respect to the ongoing situation in Phoenix that may manifest themselves as well. Uh, Not necessarily tomorrow, but uh, there's ongoing increasing information that um, it would be not wise to divulge at this moment. Let me put it that way. When the time is right, um, we will tell you what we think is going on. But we're not sure right now, and so it would be, uh, in my opinion, Irresponsible at this point to uh, discuss it but it does involve Phoenix and um, when we know more you'll know more East of the Rockies you're on the air Hi
8: Hello Art this is Chuck from Jacksonville, Florida Hi Chuck I wanted to ask a question that just occurred to me while you were talking earlier about um, inertia inertia on a person's body in a spacecraft I don't recall traveling. talking
1: I don't recall talking about that
8: oh no, you didn't talk about that, but I was just thinking about spacecraft
1: okay what about and
8: uh
6: for a spacecraft to go from New York to Florida and mm-hmm. one sweep of a radar uh,
8: would require that that craft exert so many g forces in order to accelerate and decelerate.
1: Well, all right, I see where you're going. Uh, Yes, unless you imagine other technological capability. Uh, Unless you imagine a mode of travel that does not uh, fit the aerodynamic uh, law that we believe we must live by when we fly in the atmosphere. I'm trying to be very careful with my choice of words here. um, on the uh, Roswell line, you're on the air. Good morning.
14: Yes.
15: I would like to say one thing.
1: Are you in Roswell? Yes. Uh huh. You have your radio on, don't you? Yes. All right. That's a no-no. Turn that off first. Okay?
15: Okay.
6: It's going off. Okay. Go ahead.
15: I would just like to say one thing. Go ahead. What about the full
14: moon?
1: What about it? It's not full. As a matter of fact, uh, as a matter of fact, the full moon. No.
14: Oh, on the fir- we... on the
1: fourth of July. Yes, you're right. There's okay. going to be. A...
14: Okay. Art,
15: right, listen.
1: No, there is not going to be a full moon on the fourth of July. A new moon. A new moon is what we're yes, going exactly. to have. Yes.
15: Okay. Something very significant is going
11: to happen on Roswell on that day, and the Mars Pathfinder mission. I know. From well, there's
1: yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. There is a lot of synchronicity. Uh, There's no question. We talked to Lynn a little while ago, and there was a tremendous thunderstorm building over Roswell. A gigantic Q cloud, a cumulus cloud, uh, building over Roswell, and they had some pretty big winds earlier tonight. And there is, in fact, a new moon. It's pitch dark out there. I'll tell you what. Where I am, the Milky Way extends... Clearly, from one horizon uh, in roughly the south all the way across the top of the sky to the other horizon in the north. It is absolutely incredible. And uh, this is occurring on a new moon night. And uh, so that gentleman is absolutely correct. Not full moon, uh, as he first suggested, but new moon. There is a big new moon out there. All right, we're going to break. But not with that. Uh, I wanted to break with this. (laughs) This is what I want. All right. We're going to break here at the bottom of the hour. And again, we're holding the line open for Roswell. Those of you down there involved in all that's going on, Roswell only. It's a new moon. I wonder if it's going to be a new beginning. And just about 12 hours from now, we'll be half an hour away from the first Pathfinder signals.
0: I'm Art Bell. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997. presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired July 3rd, 1997.
1: Good morning, everybody. Great to be here. Uh, last night, Art, at the beginning of your program, you said there was developing news in Phoenix that you would not discuss that night that you would address possibly tonight. You also said it was something that you weren't sure you could deal with. Now, if that wasn't a tease, then nothing is. Yes, it was a tease uh, in the sense that I wanted to inform you that something we believe may be going on there. But again, I'm going to say it again as clearly as I can. Until we know what's going on, and I'm in contact with people in Phoenix and elsewhere, it would be utterly irresponsible to air it. I'm not going to. Uh, So if you consider that a tease, then go ahead. Uh, it's really not. It's uh, the honest state of affairs, and uh, I just, I simply can't go forward with it until we understand exactly what we're dealing with. We've got a lot of material, but until it makes sense, until it comes together in a way that we can explain it to you, it would not be responsible to uh, proceed. So that has to be the answer to your question. If you want to consider that a tease, go ahead. I don't intend it that way. I intend it th- I intend for you to think or to know that I am trying to develop something that I consider potentially uh, important and that it's not yet at a stage that it can be presented or that it would be responsible to present it, and yet I want you to know it's an ongoing thing. So for now, I'm afraid that will have to satisfy you. Not at all intended to be a tease. Just telling you what's going on. On my Roswell line, you're on the air. Hello.
6: Hello, right it's uh It's cool enough here in the desert in this area too tonight,
1: so you're in Roswell, huh?
6: There's a lot of people down here, and it looks like that we're all getting excited and I hope that uh, your correspondent, uh, Linda Hell, will bring the entire broadcast of the nine o'clock news conference uh, to the airwaves tomorrow night, hopefully.
1: Well, I'm sure that we will get an encapsulated version of it uh, tomorrow night, uh, without question, and by midday I should know what's going on, and of course you'll know right away because you are there. What's it like? What's uh, Roswell like? Uh, it's a small town, usually a quiet town.
6: Yes, uh, everybody's very friendly. Uh, um, just uh, just like uh, back in my hometown in Nebraska, they greet people with a smile, they treat people with uh, respect, and everybody down here is conducting themselves in a very uh, interesting fashion because they're just here for one reason, and that's uh, uh, to listen to this news conference and to enjoy the sights down here and uh, to reminisce about 50 years ago. And uh, we just wish that you had a booth down here. We think we could you could sell over 300,000 books here to tomorrow morning. <laughs> well, I think
1: my best... Uh... My my best uh, place to be is here. I thought very hard about it, sir. I I, I thank you for the call. I thought very hard about it. There's a man in Roswell. And, of course, I had uh, endless invitations to go to Roswell. But there are a number of aspects of this that I'll tell you about. And and one is that I really believe my best place is here. And that I can coordinate things that are going on in Roswell and best report most efficiently report to you what's going on by being here, not there. And uh, when you're there and you're trying to do a broadcast, it frequently turns into a, a situation that is not uh, a very coherent because you have people milling all about. Uh, you're unable to do an effective remote broadcast. I have never been a big fan of remote broadcasts of any sort. And so I did what I always do, and I remained here. And we will get you the information very efficiently from here, I can assure you. Modern communication uh, certainly allows that. But I've just never been a big fan, and I, I really thought very hard about it, uh, that is, going down, because it is a, an attractive event, of course, for me, as you can well imagine. Uh, but finally made the decision to remain here and try and coordinate from events from here. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning.
5: Hi, Art. This is Diane in San Bernardino.
1: Hello, Diane.
5: Hello. How are you doing? Fine. That's good. I have a couple of things for you. Um, I was listening to CNN News on uh, the radio station on the 4 o'clock hour. Yes. And they had spoken to, I believe it was an Air Force lieutenant um, and he stated that he had seen aliens at the crash site. Okay,
1: I think you're referring to Colonel Corso, aren't you?
5: Uh, I could see. I don't really recall the name. Yeah, they it.
1: interviewed uh, Colonel Corso yesterday on um, Talk Back Live, and my guess would be they took that clip and ran it on CNN, and uh, Colonel Corso, of course, claims to have seen an alien
4: at Russell. Right,
5: right, because he said that they had uh, ash gray skin yep. and eyes that were a little bit larger than ours. Right. And they were uh, larger in size, like more like, about, I think he said five feet, five foot three, something like that. Yes. And uh, the I'm going of... to
1: have Colonel Corso as a guest Sunday on Dreamland.
5: I know, I know. I'm going to be listening to that as well. But I think it kind of correlates with uh, what Bud was talking about, uh, where he was saying that uh, they might be trying to hybridize humans and aliens right. together to where... Uh, you know, people may not understand why they want to do it, but really if you had a three-foot-tall person, you know, <laughs> we have no idea really what they look like other than different reports, but if you had a three-foot-tall per- uh, alien being with huge eyes and not really human body, most people would go into a state of panic. So I think probably what well, they I know want...
1: I, I certainly would.
5: Yes, yeah, so I think probably what they want to do is try to make everybody you know, these hybridized beings as close as possible to us so that we're not as terrified. And once we get used to them, then maybe they can show themselves as to what they really are and, you know, etc.
1: Well, that may be it. Uh, and that's as good a thinking as anybody else's. In other words, create a hybrid that will be not so shocking to us uh, when we encounter them. It is possible. Anything is possible, isn't it? We live in a day and a time and a world where truly anything is possible.
0: Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM has a new name. Coast Insider, you'll still get all the same great features for the same low price. The package includes podcasting, which automatically downloads shows for you, and the iPhone app. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. That's over 1,000 shows for you to collect and enjoy. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up. Now we take you back to the night of July 3rd, 1997 on Art Bell Somewhere in Time.
1: All right, I want to remind the audience I am holding one line open exclusively for anybody in Roswell. And uh, I kind of get, want to get a feel. I've already begun to do that a little bit with some of the callers for how it's going in Roswell, how it feels, the anticipation, all the rest of it. Uh, Any of the investigators down there, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello, Art. How are you, sir? Okay. Uh, Let me just change the, not that you have a specific topic. No, I don't. Whatever you want to talk about.
9: Uh, Have you seen the movie appropriately titled Strange Days?
1: Uh, You know, it's funny that you should mention that. I just saw it.
2: And what did you think?
1: I really enjoyed it. It was really good, wasn't it?
9: Yes. Of course, we can't go on about it for all the listeners who haven't seen it, but we obviously recommend
1: it. Right. Uh, Yes, I do, and we should not go on about it. I hate people who ruin movies. (laughs) I'm not
15: one of them. I'm Uh, not one of them.
1: There are people who compulsively ruin movies. I I mean, they they cannot resist ruining movies, and I have thrown such people out of rooms, in fact, out of my house.
9: I would put Strange Days and Seven in the same category. as
1: I don't know how to describe it, but does that make sense, putting those
4: two... Yes, together? It,
1: it does. It does.
6: Yeah. Yep. Uh, have a happy Fourth of July. Sir. All
1: right, thank you. Well, there's a good promo for Strange Days, strange movie indeed. Oh, it really is. And so is Seven. Both movies, uh, he's right about that, it's sort of leave you stunned, thoughtful, stunned, affected, all of that, indeed. Wild card Line, you're on the air. Good morning.
12: Good morning. Um, first, I have to tell you I'm here at Ground Zero in Phoenix, Phoenix, I huh? haven't noticed anything going on. Where should I be looking?
1: Um, nowhere special.
12: Oh, well, I guess I'm oblivious to it here. The reason I'm calling is today I was looking through uh, for Pathfinder because I'm interested that it appears it's going to land on time.
1: So it would seem.
12: Yeah. So I've been going through the Internet, just looking at the JPL and whatever um, But until,
1: until Pathfinder gets on the ground, begins sending back signals, and lands uh, where it was supposed to land, uh, then we can say, well, Richard was wrong.
4: Well,
1: and then we can say that, and we can call Richard, and he will, uh, look, Richard's a stand-up kind of guy. He'll come on the air and say, I was wrong.
12: Well, I don't want to believe he's wrong yet because one of the things I came across, and I'll be darned if I can find it right now, is an article that used the word gremlins. There have been apparently been gremlins on Mars that have interfered with so many um, missions. And then I'm looking now at something by Jane Allen.
1: Well, gremlins, Associated
12: Press, but
1: gremlins in the sense that much has gone wrong with uh, everything, with much of what we have sent to Mars and the Russians have sent to Mars, right, uh, including. Um, A gigantic object that was photographed just before one of the Mars probes, the Russian sent, uh, suddenly disappeared.
12: Right. Well, let me just continue. I think there's a theme here. And in a way, they are preparing us. If indeed it doesn't make it, they'll say, oh, gremlins, it missed its mark, but, you know, perhaps on the 20th, it can hit again. I'm still expecting that to happen because here's this Associated Press article by Jane E. Allen, Mars Isn't an Easy Destination, and she starts the path is fraught with peril, talks about all the missions that never made it, including one called Phobos-1 that re- received an inadvertent suicide command from Earth. Right. And one that disappeared August 21st,
6: 1993.
12: Oh, yes. Uh, so getting to Mars is hard. Doing stuff at Mars right on, is right on the edge of human technological capability. I think i would seen that quote before yes and it's talking all about but I'm just thinking you know in a way this is a theme here in the in the uh, press and that if they don't make it they can just say well they're those gremlins again and we expected this and then maybe they can just pull it out at the last minute and come back down on the 20th or something so I'm waiting for that to happen
1: anything can happen
12: that's right
1: that's right all right thank you very much for the call yeah I mean look we are hours away about 12 hours from now, plus about 10 minutes, we should begin getting uh, signals from Pathfinder if it lands as programmed. So, obviously, we will indeed go back to Richard Hoagland, and he will have much to say about it. You can depend on that. Uh, and if it lands as programmed and uh, does not in some way become diverted or encounter, uh, to quote my last caller, gremlins... Uh, then we will have Richard back and ask him about that. Uh, Michigan Governor John Engler has declared a state of emergency and asked for federal disaster assistance following very violent storms and tornadoes that killed at least seven people and injured dozens more as the violent weather continues. I mean, they were clobbered,
7: clobbered
1: in the upper Midwest. And now in the last several hours, tornadoes and violent thunderstorms are in the Massachusetts, New Hampshire area. Many tornadoes sighted. It really has been quite a spring, hasn't it?
2: <sighs> the weather.
1: East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi.
14: How you doing, Art? Art, did you catch the Roswell special on the Sci-Fi channel?
1: No. No, I heard about well, it, uh, but I didn't get that it.
14: That guy mentioned that what they got is 100% homogeneous aluminum, not made on the Earth. However, they said the only way that that could be made was in a vacuum of space.
1: What? What guy are you referring to?
14: The guy that says he's got that that uh, Roswell stuff. Um, year or something like that, or some, something like that. Who? I'm not sure of the guy's name. But he was on he Okay, was on it,
1: it. it sounds like you may be talking about somebody else entirely.
14: No, it was it was on a Roswell special. They said he was going to come out with the thing on the 4th of July.
1: Well, we'll see. Okay. All right. Uh, I understand there's uh, 26 different um, isotopes. Linda was talking about that earlier, and uh, I don't want to confuse this. We'll wait and see what the news conference brings. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning.
2: Yeah, good morning, Art. This is uh, Dan in Virginia.
1: How you doing?
2: Great. Uh, I need to pass a message on to you from uh, Dr. Jim hart Oh uh, Yes. Uh, I had a chance to see him at Dulles Airport, uh, I guess about uh, eight or nine days ago, before he's flying to Switzerland. Yes. And I was telling him about the program, where you, what you and Richard were doing, and Stan Dio, and he wanted um, me to get him copies of the program. And I told him I'd do so. But uh, he wanted me to tell you that he'd be available in uh, August, and he'd be glad to...
1: Do an interview, huh?
2: Yeah, to tie all these things together that are happening.
1: Well, I'd be glad to have him on. So um, if you run into him again, uh, tell him that. Otherwise, I'm sure he will contact me when he's back here in the U.S. Okay. And we'll get it together. Uh, I have interviewed him previously, and would be glad to again.
2: Okay, wonderful. Um uh, another thing I was thinking about, have you had any uh, reports of uh meetings or hearsay about um, aliens meeting with our government
1: um, with our governments
2: yes no okay. not,
1: not not recent ones uh
2: well, I've been looking at some reports um uh, that I picked up off the website. Uh, talking about different dates, uh, April 20th. What what website? Uh, it's called WW Portal uh, Ground Crew. Yeah, that's Sheldon Nidal. Yeah. No,
1: that J- Sheldon Nidal, sir, is not the government. Sheldon Nidal is receiving this information through some 70-year-old woman. Right. Well, she's not the government either. Right. So what are you talking about?
2: Well, I was just wondering. I'm trying to look for confirmation. You know, I like, unlike you, I like to... Like, you know, see if there's anything else out there.
1: Uh, right, by the way, I would like to now ask that everybody out there who keeps getting this Sheldon Nidal information stop sending it
2: to me. I get too much of it. I've had it. Oh, you're getting a lot sent to you.
1: Yeah, people uh, go to the website, download it, and then fax it to me. I don't want any more Sheldon Nidal information. What? Well, that's So, good. so it has nothing to do with the government, sir. Right. It's it's uh, being, in effect, given to channeled through some 70-year-old woman. And I don't know where... How, how do you figure the government fits into that?
2: Well, I don't. I'm just saying that the reports indicate that there has been uh, uh, meetings between uh, aliens and the U.S. government. I see. That's all the reports are saying.
1: I see. All right. Well, thank you very much. I... Um... I lay very little credibility in information that flows through a human being who, in effect, goes into some sort of trance. Uh, and you might ask, why do I appear to be closed-minded about that? And my answer to you is a straight one. There's too much of an opportunity for fraud. I, at one time, tried to interview Sheldon Nidal and found uh, found it was not... An, uh, Oh, from my point of view, um, worthwhile experience. And uh, since that time, I have begun to discount and, in fact, even begun to object to that material being sent to me. So if you are one of the ones who keeps sending me Sheldon Nidal ground crew material, please stop. Uh, and that's all I can say about that. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello.
6: Yeah, Art, this is
8: John from Long Island, New York. Hello there. Um, I'm known as Eagle One. I suppose my friend Kenny has told you about me.
1: I seem to recall something.
8: Yeah. Um, Art, on that Roswell thing. Yes. Um, is there a question of alien bodies uh, being found?
1: Oh well, there certainly are stories. Oh. I don't. I don't think they're going to be trotting out an alien body uh, in the news conference later today uh uh-huh. But uh yes, there are stories of alien bodies found, yes, of course. Uh, One even that lived for a while, depending wow. on what you believe.
10: Yeah, I've heard stories about that too.
8: And is it you know, I d I don't know, but um it's kinda hard to um get a grasp on it if uh <laughs> if there was that had lived.
1: I agree with you. I appreciate the call from Long Island, New York out there where my mom is. All right, we're going to break here at the top of the hour, and I'll be right back uh, with you.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997. Listening to Art Bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997.
1: I've got a great cat story for you here.
0: You know how I feel about cats.
4: Here it comes.
1: One day, a cat dies of natural causes and goes to heaven. There, he meets the Lord himself. The Lord says to the cat you've lived a good life and if there's any way I can make your stay here in heaven more comfortable please let me know. The cat thinks for a moment says Lord. All my life I've lived with a poor family, had to sleep on a hard wooden floor. So the Lord stops the cat mid-sentence and says say no more and a wonderfully fluffy pillow suddenly appears out of nowhere. A few days later. Six mice are killed in a tragic farming accident, and they go to heaven, too. Again, there is the Lord to greet them with the same offer. The mice all answer, Lord, all our lives we've been chased. We've had to run from cats, dogs, and even women with brooms. Lord, we're tired of running. You think we could have roller skates so we don't have to run anymore? The Lord says, say no more, and fits each mouse with a beautiful pair of roller skates. Now about a week later, the Lord stops by to see the cat and finds him snoozing on his comfortable pillow. The Lord gently wakes the cat and asks him, how are things going since you've been here? The cat stretches in typical cat fashion and yawns and replies, it's wonderful here, Lord, better than I could ever have expected. And by the way, Lord, those Meals on Wheels that you've been sending by are absolutely the best.
0: You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997.
1: From David, thank you, David. NASA television programming can be accessed through GE2, transponder 9C. The frequency is 3880 orbital position, 85 degrees west longitude. I'm sorry. That's 85 degrees west longitude. Polarity, vertical. Audio is at 6.8 megahertz. There is a full transponder service and will be operational 24 hours a day. Mars Pathfinder briefing from JPL begins at 10 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. At 3 a.m., in other words, about 45 minutes from now, oh, I'm sorry, wrong, at 3 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Pathfinder is 121,000 miles Mars. So, GE2 transponder 9C. And I've got a good C-band dish here, big 12 and a half foot sucker, but I'm afraid to put it that far uh, east. Uh, Frankly, uh, it'd be about laying on the ground by the time it got that far east with the mount that I've got. So, I may not be able to go over there. Or I may Maybe I will. See if the arm really will make it over to uh 85 degrees. Hmm. Wildcard line, you're on the air, hi. Oh yeah, what is going on in Roswell tomorrow? A big uh news conference. Does anybody know what for? Uh yes, they are going to announce. It is said in the, in the press release that they have, uh, without question, unambiguous material manufactured that is not of Earth,
9: uh-huh. that
1: came from the crash.
9: I was wondering. I caught a brief glimpse of, of something about Roswell on the news today, and I just uh, turned on the radio and heard you talking something about it, and I was real curious. That's really interesting. All right. So I'll, how how far off do you think it is before uh, everything comes out?
1: I wish I knew. You know, in other words, maybe they've got the smoking uh, gun or debris, as the case may be here, and maybe they don't. We'll find out. Well,
9: and how, how does that relate to their little uh, uh, excuse about the ro- initial Roswell incident uh, uh, being a weather balloon and dummies? I mean, I mean, are the, Well,
1: I'll leave that one to you. I mean, if they can prove that something crashed, that it was not from Earth, where does that leave Colonel Haynes in the Air Force? Mm-hmm. Uh, slowly twisting in the breeze.
9: He's digging himself
1: a, dirt, a, a big hole in the dirt, it sounds like. Yeah. Thanks, sir. All right, sir. Thank you very much for the call. Let me again, I'll, one more time, I'll read this news release such as it is. A press conference scheduled for 9 a.m. July 4, 1997 at the Pearson Auditorium um, on the New Mexico Military Institute campus in Roswell, New Mexico, will present the results of scientific tests performed on crashed debris found near Roswell, New Mexico, 50 years ago, that once and for all will prove the downed vehicle was not of Earth origin. A research scientist from a major university involved in the testing will be on hand to discuss the methodology and results of the isotope ratio testing the Roswell debris supporting conclusions and a battery of tests conducted by universities and national laboratories will be provided that conclude the Roswell debris is manufactured material of extraterrestrial origin Paul Davids the executive producer of the Showtime film Roswell is sponsoring the presentation of this evidence during his program at the 50th anniversary. Along with images of the actual Roswell crash debris, the chain of evidence will also be presented validating the Roswell incident as the recovery of a crashed extraterrestrial vehicle. Now, the chain of evidence is going to be particularly important. In other words, um, if they have materials manufactured materials, in other words, something that is manufactured, uh, much like arts parts obviously have been, and the isotope tests prove beyond a doubt it is not from Earth. That's one thing, and that's an important thing. If they can prove with a chain of evidence that it came from Roswell, and that's what you're going to want to look for very carefully, whether they can actually uh, trace uh, and bring forward the people who will say here, I got this piece of metal or this whatever it is they're going to present tomorrow and I picked it up. Then you've got a chain of evidence for, better yet, uh, or better yet photographs or better yet on the Wh- Whatever it is that they're going to trace back chain of evidence to prove where this came from. That will be equally important. Uh, and they claim here they've got that.
16: West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning, Art. Tim Denver. Hi, Tim. Boy, there's so many things going on. One needs an Art Bell calendar, you know what?
1: Uh, it is busy.
16: <laughs> uh, may I mention uh, a, few new, uh, a few new clubs that we've got uh, up and running? Yes. Okay. Uh, this is the Art Bell Chat Clubs, and if you're not familiar with us, we uh, uh, gather in certain cities across the country, and uh, a lot of times we'll have uh, speakers come in. Sometimes they're speakers from our show. Uh, such as I spoke with Doug Ruby today, and we're working on getting him into the Sarasota, Florida club. He'd be, a, he'd sure be a catch. Oh, boy. We're real excited about that. Anyway, since the last time we spoke, uh, we've opened up the Santa Fe, New Mexico club. Wow. Uh, Houston and Houston. Portland. And Portland. Wow. And he- if folks are interested, they can, um, obtain the numbers of their local, uh, chapters. God, we're starting to get like Walmart or something. Oh, we're starting to get like... Walmart, Uh, yeah, it's uh, really taken off. Uh, Soon we'll we'll, uh, be opening our Northern Ohio Club, and uh, we've got uh, several more southern cities in uh, Florida, uh, New Orleans possibly, San Diego, so uh, things are really moving along. Uh, And I also would like to mention coming up to July 25th, which is Friday at 6 p.m. at the Los Angeles chapter of the Art Bell Chat Club, our speaker is going to be David John Oates. Really? And they're going to have dinner before before the uh, speaker uh, comes on stage, so it should be a really interesting
1: evening. A lot, a lot, a lot of people in LA would like to see David John Oates. Uh, Say again when
16: that's going to be. July 25th. And where? In Los Angeles. uh, The actual location, they need to call the Los Angeles chapter and get that information. I don't have all that. Also on the 24th... Wait, 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 wait. Do they have the LA? Do you have the LA number? Oh, sure. The uh, Los Angeles chapter is area code 213-965-5537 and also the evening before the 24th, the uh, chat club in LA is going to sponsor a field trip to see uh, a presentation by Joyce Riley. She's going to be in Los Angeles and uh, we like to support all of uh, Art's guests, especially Joyce. She's going to be speaking in our uh, uh, Southern Texas clubs very soon also. Okay. And uh, if you would like to get information about a club in your own area, we have an 800 number you can call. Uh, it does get busy, so bear with us, it's a 24-hour number, you can call any time. And uh, also, we've had so many responses from listeners, Art. I would like to uh, thank them for their patience in getting the information packs out to them if they're interested in opening a chapter in their own area. Uh, we are a small operation here in Denver, and uh, re- we rely a lot on um, uh, volunteer help. So. Uh, we're getting them out as quickly as possible, but uh, this is a, a new venture for all of us, and we're real excited, and like I said, we're we're attracting some uh, great speakers. I also spoke with uh, uh, Dr. Bruce Goldberg, who, uh, sleep Mr. Sleep Paralysis. Oh, yes, indeed. And uh, he's quite interested in speaking at our clubs in the uh, West Coast areas. So, uh, again, the 800 number for all the clubs, we have 10 of them total right now, is 1-800- That's super. Okay, Art. Tim, thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening. Good luck with all the traffic. (laughs) Sheesh.
1: Art, you're not going to believe this one. Tonight at 8 p.m. West Coast time, now last night, Fox News reported that a 16-year-old boy, I'm not exactly sure where, I think it was in the Middle East somewhere, was complaining of stomach pains. Doctors discovered that inside the boy's abdomen was an undeveloped fetus. What? An undeveloped fetus that had remained alive for 16 years by somehow feeding off the boy. They said the fetus had a head and a tongue and other parts I can't recall. Oh, I'm not exactly sure what else they said because I was so shocked at what I was hearing. They also showed a diagram of where the fetus was located in the body. It might have been an x-ray. They did not say what became of the fetus, or more appropriately, the boy's twin but only that it had survived within the boy for 16 years. I don't know about you, Art, but in my opinion, this is the most incredible story I've ever heard. Steve, could it really be true? I suppose if he was a twin, and so now you know, is there anybody out there with the medical expertise to tell me if this would be possible? Because I frankly don't know. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi.
15: Yeah, hello. Our, here on the East Coast, um, I must have been yesterday by now. We had more tornadoes showing up in the. Um, Vermont, Massachusetts area.
1: I here. know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. I've been seeing the reports. Uh, it was uh, in the upper Midwest, and now it's moved to the Northeast. Unbelievable. The
15: northeast. Yeah, here in Albany, we had overturned aircraft over at the airport. Boy. So it's pretty incredible.
1: Um, I'm telling you, we're we're in the middle of a change.
15: Oh, it is. It's here. And it's, it's fun times to be in, isn't it? Sure is. Uh,
1: well, I don't know if fun is the right. To, uh, word. Uh, interesting times.
15: Interesting time. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to be, a, you know, look at the positive side by saying fun because what else am I going to do? i am stay here to enjoy it all.
1: That's right. We, we, you know, it's interesting to sit and watch it play out. I don't know that I would say fun, but interesting. Okay,
15: yeah. I might not have had the exact right words there, but you are right. Interesting is that's why we're all here listening to find out what's up next. Um, Today is going to be one of the most interesting days.
1: Yes, it is. I agree.
15: I'll talk to you real soon,
1: Take care. He's right about that. This is going to be a particularly interesting day. The news conference at Roswell. Pathfinder slamming into Mars. And all of that story developing during the day. And in the background, we're doing a lot of research on Phoenix. So there's going to be a lot for you to hear. And then uh, tomorrow night, of course, my guest is going to be Michael Hessman And beyond Roswell then Sunday on Dreamland, uh, Philip Corso. So, there are some interesting days ahead. West of the Rockies, cursed to live in interesting times. West of the Rockies, you're on the air.
17: Hi, Art, this is Nick in Albuquerque. Hi, Nick.
18: Say, uh, I I I thought of this, uh, I I recalled this article I had read a while back when you were talking to Linda earlier. Yes. And, uh, it's really interesting it 's kind of relevant to uh what you were discussing there's this uh stone that was found by a geologist. Her name is Anne Grayson, and apparently she 's in England and uh, she found this vivid blue chunk of rock in Morocco
1: yes,
18: and uh she took it to the london's Natural History Museum and uh they found out it was made up of these uh, millions of crystals, and this stone contains silicon, aluminum, calcium, magnesium, iron, and oxygen. And it says the unnamed mineral changes from purple to blue to cream when rotated. So that may be Whoa. something that's, uh, you know, kind of relevant to uh, these. Unusual materials that uh, uh, these metals that you've you've come up with.
1: Well, I don't know if there's any relationship, but boy, what a story!
18: Yeah, it sure is. It, it was uh, published here in in this uh, Albuquerque Tribune, and uh, they have this little section of the paper that they publish every Saturday, and it's called uh, it's called Earth Week.
1: Birth week. Oh yes, I'm. I, yeah. I get that. I get yeah, that by, uh, by, by electronic
18: means. Yeah, it's really interesting. They have some really fantastic articles in here. But I, I just thought I'd relay this to you. That uh, oh, thank you. That uh, you know this sounds to be kind of on the same, all uh, oh, the same avenue as, as.
1: Well, only if you uh, classify uh, the avenue as weird. In other words, I don't see the connection to bismuth-magnesium-layered materials in micron levels, but uh, layered micron levels, I might add, but what you described is really interesting. I wonder what that is. It does not sound natural to Earth, and I wonder if they've done any testing with regard to isotope uh, ratios. First time, call our line. You're on the air. Hi. Hello? Going once, going twice, gone. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Good morning. Yes, Art. Yes, sir. Uh, good to hear you. Uh, your show is always interesting. I need your fax number. Area code, mm-hmm. 702-727-8499. Whatever you do, do not send more than three pages for my fax machine will... Oh, yeah, I know better than that. Yeah. Well,
15: anyway, this is Mark and Phoenix, and it's good to hear you. Okay, I look
1: forward to the facts. Uh, Take care. Art, a few nights ago, you were talking about a time capsule and what we would put into it. I know exactly what to put in a time capsule of the 1990s. A cell phone embedded in a deployed airbag attached to the steering wheel of a BMW. Let's get that straight. A cell phone embedded in a deployed airbag attached to the steering wheel of a BMW. Does that say '90s or what? West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello.
16: Hello.
1: Hi. Please turn your radio off. Yes,
16: it's off. Okay. How are you?
1: Well, uh, reasonably well. I got a little pain in my right elbow, but uh, otherwise I'm okay. Okay. Where where are you?
16: Uh, Alberta.
1: You're in a very noisy place, aren't you?
16: Yeah, in a truck. I see. And how are we this evening? I just wanted to phone you to tell you that uh, I listen to your show a lot. The entertainment value is great, and I don't know if I have to take everything really seriously. Me either. That's right.
1: Uh, and that's something that some people have to learn have to learn, and probably never will. Um. Uh, My good friend Jim Bohannon would be one of them, he says loosely. In other words, uh, not everything in the world must be myopically in talk radio
0: politics. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997. Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 3rd, 1997. I suspect it's the only thing that's going to keep the bad guys away. Love. Good morning. Here's what you missed on Coast to Coast AM with George Norris.
7: Why does it seem that evil spirits seem to come through Ouija boards?
8: Some people claim that they use the Ouija board and nothing adverse happens. However, it's my opinion that somehow it opens a door and there seem to be evil spirits just waiting for that opportunity for somebody to be sensitive enough that they can take over some of their control. They'll change and start showing their true colors.
0: Now we take you back to the night of July 3rd, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
2: Well,
1: all right, Uh, this is from an Oregon paper. I'm not sure which one. Uh, It is an Associated uh, Press article. Dateline, Newport, Oregon. Dying seabirds along the Oregon coast are considered a warning sign of ominous changes in the Pacific Ocean that may have potentially disastrous effects for the environment. The common muir is starving and washing up on beaches at eight times the normal rate because the birds are not finding enough to eat during the nesting season their most stressful time of year, if Oregon's most numerous seabird is in trouble. We know things are bad out there, said Roy Lowe, a biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Food is scarce because spring did not bring the vital northerly winds that power ocean upwelling. So in nearly every area that we look, environmentally, we are undergoing very rapid change, or if you wish, a quickening. East of the Rockies, you're on the air.
17: Yeah, how are you doing, Art? Uh, This is Phil from Chicago. Hi, Phil. Uh, I remember somebody called you earlier in the night about uh, somebody who had another piece that was on uh, a Sci-Fi Channel special. Oh, yes. Uh, His name was Lee. I think it was. Lee Shargell. Yes, I've interviewed Lee Shargell. Yeah, and the piece was like, it was square on the outside, but it had a round hole in it, and it it beveled out. And it was only, I'd say, maybe two by two.
4: Huh. And the
17: hole was like about uh, an inch and a half on the top and about maybe an inch and a quarter on the bottom where it got smaller. And he said that it was pure aluminum, but the inside of it had like a small layer of glass around it huh so uh when i heard that i i just wanted to clear that up and that special is going to be on again uh, i think saturday sometime in the afternoon
1: well then i'll be able to check it out there all right okay you take it easy all right thank you uh from the windy city gee i wonder with all the changes if it's still windy there west of the rockies you're on the air hi hold on
14: there hi uh this is charlie
1: Yes, Charlie.
14: Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about that guy that uh, captured the spirit with some contraption on the wall. Yes. Do you remember? Oh, of course. Did you hear anything better about that?
1: Um, No follow-up. I tried to get a hold of him. He gave me a number and I called it numerous times and uh, was unable to get any answer.
14: Yeah, we heard that he got beat up and all that, huh? That's right. By, what is it, MBIs or something? Men in black?
2: Yes.
14: (laughs) Oh, I was going to ask you something else. You're due south of the center of the earth. The official center of the earth. Have you heard of the center of the earth?
1: Well, I can imagine the center of the earth. What are you talking about?
14: Uh, It's an official uh, pyramid, which you are due south, um, 10 miles from the uh, Mexican border.
6: Really?
14: Yeah, it is. And uh, it's official towards the French government and the uh, Chinese government on that.
4: Huh.
14: And they have, they have certain people there, and they've built an altar with rocks and such, and if you take a rock, your car won't start, and this person who has built this uh, altar will, be, will come out, and he has to place it exactly where uh, you t- picked it up, and your car would automatically uh, start up again. Weird. It's, it is weird, yeah. It Very is. Very
1: weird. Now, they don't put it's the rock in the weird. exhaust pipe or anything.
14: No, no, no. No, he just, you can't take a rock from there or else, you know, your car won't start or anything like that. I
1: yeah. understand. All right. Well, thank you. That's weird. But that's one I would have to see to believe. Well, there's something about putting potatoes in exhaust pipes. I think that has bad results. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi.
8: Hi. This is Greg in Seattle. How you doing? Um I was just wondering if you still sell the Levitron?
1: Uh, uh yes we do. Uh it's advertised on Dreamland Sundays.
8: Because I just like to say that that
14: uh, my dad bought me that and it's a really neat toy.
1: It is. You should turn your radio off.
14: Okay, how's that? Better. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Levitron uh not only is still sold but now there is a super Levitron that flies twice as high. And there is now the Levitron Perpetuator, uh-huh. which is a pulsing device which keeps the Levitron going forever.
14: Okay, and also, um, what was that m- music?
8: It's called the Ballerina something you had playing?
1: Little Ballerina Blue.
8: Little Ballerina Blue. Uh-huh.
1: That's right.
14: Okay, because I, I like I like that. So do I. Okay, thanks
1: <laughs> a lot. Take care. Uh, wild Card Line, you're on the air. Good morning
13: right in California.
1: There she is.
13: Hey, oh thanks. At two thirty, did you go out and talk to Mona? I uh, know. Did, did you know what? I was at your house. It was so weird. You know, and you know what? You're wrinkling up your nose thinking about that fetus thing you read. Drinking orange juice. You and me, you and Mona, I was standing right by the table, and we were going, "Ew."
16: Do you think that could be true?
13: I don't know, because then all of a sudden this weird um, sound happened. I was back here going, oh, geez, i got to call him on the phone. I think, the phone it, I think
16: it could
1: happen. I think uh, if one Were twin... Were
13: you drinking orange juice? No. If one if twin
1: developed inside another twin, it could occur. And then somehow that second twin could attach I mean, itself. Who
13: cares about that? I'm talking about astral projection. Huh? That's possible? It's like I was right there.
1: Well, you weren't, though, because I didn't see her and I wasn't drinking orange juice. So wrong, wrong.
13: Okay, well, what if it happens later?
1: Well, then, uh, you're a time-traveling projectionist. I
13: don't know how I did
1: that. I don't know. I don't know that you've done it.
13: Me neither. That's really kind of hard to prove, huh? Except for, though, I do know stuff that you eat. And you know what else I really hate? Is that I quit smoking and you didn't.
1: And
10: so mm. now it's
13: like... Yeah, I hate it. I'm like, ah, he's smoking. So, you know, um... Do you think I really could be the voice of a princess? You know what? I could own my own business and do that.
1: Goddess, I thought, not princess. Well, whatever. That
13: that lady had a good idea. Because I know how to do that. Do you? Well, you just talk.
1: You just talk?
13: Well, yeah, I imagine. I'm a quick learner. But I could own my own business.
1: What would it be called?
13: Voices in the night. (laughs) You know... You could work at my house, just like you do. Because you always keep saying, if you work for other people, you won't make money.
1: It's true. Well, no, you'll make money.
13: Well, yeah, but... But
1: you'll never really get ahead.
13: You know, like, I want to have a guy that comes to my house and tells me what to do with so much money that I have. <laughs> you know, sometimes I get the impression that he's stealing from you. Who? The guy that comes to your house to talk to you about your money.
1: I have no such guy.
13: Okay. And I also... It's a She. Oh, it's a, it's a girl?
1: <laughs> Sorry. This is not your night.
13: So It's somebody.
1: I mean, maybe if you get real lucky, I'll have a glass of orange juice when I get off.
13: If you do, you have to tell me.
1: <laughs> and then <if laughs> Yeah, you but you've seen... mentally you've mentally suggested it to me now. I so... know,
13: but listen. Like, what if you see me? Wave to me or something.
1: You mean like if I look down in the OJ and there you are swimming? No, because so like anyway,
13: next to Mona, we're all going, ew. Yeah. I was like, oh, and I kinda like woke up. Isn't that strange? Yes. Have you ever done it? No. Why not?
1: I I just answered your question. I don't know. I haven't done it. You asked me have I ever done it? No. We
13: well, ought to try it. You know why? Why? Well, because it's like cheaper than regular travel. It's good for the earth.
1: I travel enough as it is. I'm gonna be going to Alaska and then Egypt mm-hmm. and everything so I
13: know. You think it, um...
1: Maybe, maybe when I stop doing these cruises, I'll give it a shot.
13: You're going to stop doing cruises?
1: I said, when I do. Well, everything hey, are, has a life, right?
13: Are they going to let you on shore in Egypt? That's what I wanted to know. Because I heard the... Um, well,
1: I imagine they would let me on shore. The question is the whether... Chopping
13: off of heads in the whole wh- story?
1: That's right. Whether okay. I would get back on the ship or not is the question. Yeah. I, we're going to have to see, thank you, how Egypt uh, resolves itself. I would imagine uh, the antiquities director at Giza is not altogether happy with me at the moment. However, a lot of things can occur between now and then. So, to Egypt I shall go. In all probability I will go to Giza. I may not be fully comfortable about it, but I will go. (laughs) By the way, if either if anybody out there wants to check on either one of our cruises, it's coming up quick now. Uh, Alaska, an incredible cruise, coming up August twenty third, and then uh, October first to Egypt and Rome and Greece and the Greek Isles and Pompeii and oh boy, we'll be all over the place. Both of these cruises are incredible, and the way you can find out about them is to call one. 1- 800 oh no I've forgotten it again <sighs> I know the last four are 7120 this is really the pits I used to be able to have this number memorized and now I've got a hundred it up I think I found it here, here we go I live in fear of giving out a wrong number, 1-800-633-2732 or 1-800-848-7120. I guess that is the main number, 1-800-848-7120. Now, they are full, but what you might be able to do is, you know, if somebody drops out, they're filling in the blank spots. So the cruises are all booked up, but if you get on a list, there's a high probability you know, that something will happen. I mean, you don't want to benefit by somebody's misfortune, but things occur in life, and then all of a sudden you can't go. So there you are, one eight hundred eight four eight seven one two zero. 848 7120 West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi.
15: Good morning, Mr. Bell. Good morning. This is Robert in San Joaquin Valley, California. Yes, sir first of all, I want to congratulate you on the award, that number one award that you won. Well, it, it was
1: Best Male Talk Show Host of the Year Award.
15: I know. That's great. Well, you deserve it. You earned it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I have something here, an article. i got a few things, if you don't mind. Um, I don't know if this connects with the animal mutilations or not, but from the Associated Press back in the latter part of 95, and I kept this because I, I wanted to read it to you. It's, it's called Biofarming, spelled B-I-O-P-H-A-R-M-I-N-G. Hmm. It said here that it, gets the FDA go ahead, says, Washington, it sounds like science fiction, milking enough medicine out of ten genetically engineered goats to replace an entire pharmaceutical factory. But some researchers consider milk medicines the future in affordable drugs. And last week the Food and Drug Administration quietly signaled it is ready to go into business with biofarmers. The FDA issued the nation's first guidelines for medicines milk from animals whose genetic makeup has been altered by scientists.
1: Great.
15: And that was back in the latter part of 95. I've never heard another another word about
1: it. Just let me run right out and get some goat's milk. Yum yum.
15: I just wonder, it, it, with all of these animal mutilations, all this secrecy, is it possible that these companies are are actually quietly, without the red tape, running checks through the blood of various animals in different parts of the world for reasons such as this?
1: Anything is possible. Yeah.
15: <laughs> okay. There's one other thing that I, I did want to mention to you. When Richard Holman mentioned about July the 20th, yes, I heard a report that on July the 20th in Arizona, in a secret area that is completely being guarded, that some sort of a craft is to land and 12 individuals from different parts of the world brings whatever is to meet with whomever is to emerge from the craft. Have you heard anything about that? No. Well, I don't know what, what it's about, but I've heard it from you. It
1: sounds like a Sheldon idolism to me.
15: Yeah, probably. But I mainly just wanted to congratulate you on that award. That's great.
1: All right, thank you very much, and uh, take care. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Art? I am fine. Okay.
9: Uh, this is Brian from East Hampton, Connecticut. I yes, sir. A few times before, but um, I hope Richard Hoglund and uh, Robert Baval at all might be listening to this. Uh, I'm a member of the ARE. Have been for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Edgar Casey readings, it says that the person who built the Hall of Records and designed it and put the records in there is the same person who will remove the records from the Hall when the time comes and that same person's face is the one on the Sphinx Now that's what Casey had to say Um, the A.R.E. puts out a bi-monthly publication called Venture Inward which has you know a lot of their research and what's going on with the A.R.E. in it and I Last week I got the latest copy of it and I was astounded to see, on the front of it, there is a picture of the Sphinx, the face of the Sphinx, and right under it, a gentleman with his face angled exactly the same way. Now nothing was said in the article about it, but but I can see what they're implying. The gentleman standing beneath the Sphinx is none none other than Zahi Hawass. to me, this says that the ARE people might be suspecting, or maybe they're convinced that Hawass is the man. I think that. Uh,
1: Just what I needed to hear. You're trying to help me to be more comfortable to go to Giza, aren't you? Well, yeah. You know, I want you to feel at ease. Oh. But, <laughs> but you know, I I
9: don't know. You know, if uh, if the A. R. E. People ARE people or you know if if they've
1: uh, I, know, I, I still yeah, really, I, about I, I, I absolutely cannot get over the fact that out of the blue, I got a framed photograph, uh, fo- photograph of Zahi Hawass, personally autographed to me. Wow! Which says, Art, thanks for all your help, Zahi Hawass. I'm telling you, it's like finding a horse head in your bed. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm serious. It arrived, it arrived in a frame from wow. Egypt.
9: Geez. Now, what does that mean? I mean, how does he? Well, that,
1: how would you take it if you were me? About uh, like a horse head. I Matt, don't know. It could, it
9: could be. I don't know. He, you know, I've heard some people that know him say he's he's not a bad guy. You know.
1: I've heard that, but then I've heard other things too. Yeah. You know, and I'm, you know, there. I mean, there have been things said. Let's face it. We have an allegation that uh, Zahi, and it would have to involve Zahi, um, is. Proceeding with a secret dig from the king's to the queen's chamber, which would be a very serious thing if true. Oh yeah. And um, we've had other occasions to comment on Zahi, and not once can I recall was it necessarily or or particularly favorable.
9: Yeah.
1: So when I got that, I kind of freaked out.
9: um, You know, Casey, I don't understand why, if, if if we're looking exclusively for the Hall of Records here. That's what the goal is, why they're digging in the pyramid. Because the Casey readings, I mean, this is the shore expedition and all of that. That's involved with the ARE. Is that correct?
6: Yes, yeah. I believe
1: so.
9: All right, and these are probably the people who well, the, answer, to dig,
1: the dig. The answer is, though, that there was a room which apparently they put, could have been accessed, but they put metal bars up, and there was no way that Zahi or anybody else could get to it. And the only way to get to it was to come to it from above so that's that's what i've heard i mean that's you know that's what richard hoagland had on the air and we've got photographs indicating that's true do you have access to the web yeah i'm on it now by Um, the way you you it's a very nice shirt you got on
6: oh thank you
9: um because the the according to the casey material and i'm not saying he's right about everything but The Hall of Records is between one of the Sphinx's paws and the the so-called Cheops Pyramid. Right. It's not in either structure. Right.
1: That may or may not turn out to be true. Who knows? knows. Um, What knowledge do you think we will recover should we get to the Hall of Records?
9: Well, according to the only information I have, uh, a complete accurate history of the world the way it really was handed down from the atlantean influence
1: do you think if we actually found that we could handle it or they would suppress it well I think
9: that uh, quick answer okay we're in the age of Aquarius now and what that means is there's going to be no more BS to hide all right tell
1: tell America good night good night America
9: and uh, good night in Phoenix good night Roswell and good night Mars